a logo, ACB in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. 62nd Annual National Conference and Convention, General Session, Tuesday, July 4th, 2023. In a large ballroom filled with rows of tables and chairs sits an audience of conference attendees. In the front, center of the room is a stage with a podium in the center and tables on both sides. A banner of the American Council of the Blind logo is on the wall behind the stage. To the left and right of the stage are two walls lined with banners bearing the names of past American Council of the Blind convention locations. A large screen standing to the right of the stage displays a video of the presenters on the stage. Deb Cook-Lewis, ACB president, stands at the podium. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's begin. It's time to uh, convene our meeting for Tuesday. I think we've been here about six weeks now. Um, and uh, so it's all good. Welcome to the convention for today. We do have a full program. But because you were all so good yesterday, you know, I discovered there are only one or two uh, powers that the president has. One or two. There's not much. We, the president doesn't get to decide much at all. But the president does get to decide whether you get a break or not, at least an official one, and when it is and whether there are door prizes in it. So there will be a break today. It will have door prizes in it. And uh, yay. So all that. All right. Um, so I was uh, before we do our uh, flag and, and other things here, I was asked to describe the uh, banners that we have for the states. And this, the stage banners are hung to the left and right. Uh, they are framing the stage. And then to the far left is the large screen, which is displaying uh, all of our sponsor logos in a loop. So uh, that's kind of cool. And the top of the banner has a, a logo with the American Council of the Blind name. And then for the states, it has the state name, the emblem, the map, the bird, <laughs> the flower, um, and then the city and date of the establishment of the affiliate associated uh, with the state. So these are really, really neat banners. And uh, we didn't do them last year just because of all the logistics, but we had a lot of requests to bring it back. So they're here with us uh, today. So that's great. Yes. Oh, oh, and the bo at the bottom, yeah, thank you, Jolene. At the bottom of the banner is the dates and the uh, years of this, um, and the cities, rather, of the conventions that have been held in that state. Of course, I would not remember that because my state hasn't had any conventions. So, woo, yes, all right. It's time to do our, uh, our uh, flag salute. And to lead us in our flag salute, we have... A veteran, we have Marjorie Beeman, who is with us today to lead us in our Pledge of Allegiance. And then following, following the Pledge of Allegiance, we have Colby Garrison, who is going to lead us in America the Beautiful. All right. Good morning, everyone. Please rise if you can. The United States flag of America is to your left, towards the front. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, 
indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Have a great day. Great. Uh, yes, yeah, showing, showing a little respect for our country there. <laughs> we, we should. Yes, we should. She's already gone down, but boy, we should definitely. We'll have to get that done before the week's over. All right. Thank you. Now, uh, it's time. We're, we're going to have this morning a few video presentations. I see that most of you have your imaginary popcorn right ahead of you. If you reach out and have that and the, and the Cokes and such, um, are, be careful with those in here. And so uh, let's go ahead and begin with our uh, corporate sponsor recognitions. The American Council of the Blind would like to thank our 2023 conference and convention sponsors. Their continued support is sincerely appreciated. Diamond Sponsors. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, Microsoft, Vispero, Vanda Pharmaceuticals, Comcast. Emerald Sponsors, Amazon, MGM Resorts, Cruise, Verizon, Janssen. Ruby Sponsors, AT&T, Google, Waymo, Uber, Netflix, National Cable and Telecom Association, NCTA, Humanware, Charter Communications, Adobe. Onyx Sponsors, Celeste, American Printing House, APH, IRA, Democracy Live Incorporated, Walmart, United Airlines. Coral Sponsors, ACB Families, ACB Lions, National Industries for the Blind. Pearl Sponsors, Library Users of America. Walk Sponsors, Macular Degeneration Foundation. Thank you to our corporate sponsors. Yay. We really couldn't do this without you guys, so thank you so much. 
All right, up next, uh, we have a Diamond sponsor presentation by video this morning. It's kind of hard to get people here on the 4th of July. Um, we're doing well with that, but uh, we, we weren't able to get everyone. So our next corporate sponsor, Diamond sponsor presentation is Jenny LeFleury, Chief Accessibility Officer from Microsoft in Redmond, Washington. Hi there, folks. I'm Jenny Lee Flurry. I'm the Chief Accessibility Officer at Microsoft, joining you today here in my office at Microsoft headquarters in Redmond, Seattle. It is sunny. Um, that is a rarity here in the Pacific Northwest, and we're really thrilled to be here and a small part of the ACB National Conference this year, 2023. Uh, I'm in my office. I'm wearing a green dress for those, and you see lots of miscellaneous accessibility stuff behind me, including an ability poster on my wall, uh, one of the conferences that is now in its 13th year here at Microsoft uh, that we held earlier in the year in March. Uh, miscellaneous t-shirts. Uh, my team is all about t-shirts. And uh, if you ever see a Microsofty, you'll see they're probably wearing a Microsoft accessibility shirt of some kind. As I said, it's an honor to be with you, to talk about accessibility um, and to be a very small part of your very big event. Um, I've had the honor of attending ACB several times, both virtually and in person over the years. And I always learn something that is needed, wanted, uh, or we need to advance on uh, when it comes to accessibility. I've had the privilege of being in this role now for, gosh, seven and a half years and at the company, 18. And um, we take that feedback really seriously. And I'm, I'm really thrilled at some of the progress, but I would say I'm always impatient about what we need to do going forward. What does that progress mean? And what does my role do? Well, my role for anyone new um, uh, to the gang is really a holistic approach to accessibility. So me and my team here um, work with the hundreds and thousands of people across Microsoft, the over 220,000 people we have now around the world, um, many of whom have accessibility as a dedicated or part of their role to make sure that we embed accessibility into things like Xbox and gaming, Windows, Office, and yes, what you may have heard of a lot in the press this year, AI. What are we focused and prioritized on? Well, a lot of it uh, won't surprise you. We continue to be incredibly laser focused on our core products. That includes Windows. Uh, and whether you've tried Narrator, you use Narrator as our embedded screen reader that is free of charge, or you use one of the third parties that is uh, compatible with Windows, uh, so NVDA, JAWS are the most common. Embedding and realizing that experience maintains just one of our core and topmost priorities for the company. We are continuing to give that focus. Um, and I'm thrilled that we've been able to get out of the door some improvements this year with a lot more still to do. Narrator and Excel got a big boost uh, just a few weeks ago just to make sure that we're really chugging that one forward. Um, and there's a lot of activity in magnification. Again, some of those embedded features along with high contrast. And we launched a whole bunch of brand new high contrast filters 
We also moved accessibility in Windows 11. And if you haven't updated to Windows 11, I really would recommend it. One of the bits of feedback that many of you said to me actually was, Jenny, accessibility can be hard to find in Windows. Um, and actually we did some research on it and the shocking result of that research was the ease of access or ease of use, which was the common term in Windows 10, wasn't actually easy for people to remember. So we changed it to a really complicated word, accessibility, and we put it right there in the start menu. And actually, if you have a Windows 11 device, you'll see that accessibility is now one of the common features in the bottom right hand menu, which is the menu that you click for Wi-Fi. Um, you'll see accessibility in there. So you can quickly, quickly turn on any feature that you may need uh, and quickly turn it off um, if you don't need it as you're going through. So some of the examples of what this team really does get involved in, Windows, Office and continue to iterate on screen reading and Zoom functions and high contrast and more within Office, and also gaming, uh, which also has its own embedded screen reader, uh, narrator, which ships over from Windows to Xbox. But the one thing I was really thrilled about uh, that launched in early May was actually Blind Assist in one of our popular driving games called Forza. Forza is created by one of our studios and they worked with an amazing consultant to realize blind driving. Um, and it's a series of audio features that will allow you to drive around the racing track, the Forza racing track, um, change gears, know everything and change everything about your car, um, know the speeds that you're going, brake, which apparently I'm shockingly bad at um, when I take the ride around the track. Some of these features are coming soon. Um, there's some brilliant YouTube videos and I really would recommend checking those out because uh, they give a good sense of that experience. Um, and so taking forward the future of gaming, particularly blind low vision gaming, is something we're really silly passionate about um, and making sure that there is access to everyone, including the 400 million gamers around the world with disabilities. Windows, Office, Gaming. But let's talk about what's really been top of mind in the news this year, which is AI. Now, some of you will know our number one AI app, which is Seeing AI. For those um, that don't know about it and you have a fruity device, please pull it out and download it. It is a free app. Uh, it was created in 2017 um, by an amazing team of folks, of employees, one of whom is, is Sakib. Uh, Sakib is a brilliant blind developer. He's also British like me, and uh, he's now living over here in Redmond. It was designed in 2017 to use what was available then, um, which is cognitive services, um, which is our artificial intelligence. Taking pictures of menus, of places, of clothes, of people and meeting rooms, and using artificial intelligence to describe what color those clothes are. So you can make decisions on what you want to wear in a more informed way. Um, of currency, um, you know, well, many countries now have tactile, tactile indicators on currency. The US still doesn't, uh, as do many other countries. Um, and also, you know, recently adding indoor navigation channel, which is a new channel that launched in May. 
Now, there's a brand new um, uh, advancement for Sing AI in the works, which is adding GPT. GPT-4 specifically. And this is part of the chat GPT that you may have heard about. And just to maybe take a step back, where does chat GPT come from? This comes from a company called OpenAI, uh, which Microsoft is a deep partner of, um, but they are an independent company. And they came out with chat GPT around holiday time this year. In fact, my holiday um, was fascinating because I was getting pings all the way through the period um, asking about accessibility, what they needed to do, um, and the potential of some of this technology. ChatGPT4 gives very detailed descriptions of images. Very detailed to the point where it really can add an incredible layer of information that could be invaluable to many of you and many of the users of Seeing AI. So it's coming soon. Uh, there is a beautiful video that's on my profile on my social media um, and I'm sure if you look it up on any search engine, Bing is my preference, um, it will come right up that really walks through with Sakib showing what that can do as he walks around actually an aquarium um, with his son here in Seattle. It's also the same technology that many of you may have heard about being embedded into Be My Eyes. And Be My Eyes is an amazing company. Um, it's based over in Europe um, and headquartered there for many years. Um, it is uh, a company that we've worked with for a long time, again, actually going back to 2017, where Be My Eyes technology we embedded into our technical support process. Um, we do have a free technical support team called the Disability Answer Desk. And now, uh, coming soon, if you call Be My Eyes um, and you have a technical problem, you have a connection that's not working, you're not sure where to plug cables in, or there's an error on your screen, Be My Eyes, you can actually get already get through ever since for the last sort of, gosh, six years, you can get through to one of our technical support agents through their specialized help function. Now we're adding GPT-4 into that. So you can take a picture of that situation and allow the technology to describe and potentially help. It's a pilot, we'll see how it goes. Potentially help you to independently solve that issue, whatever it may be. You may not have to speak to a human. Now, if you wanna to speak to a human, it is available 24 seven. Don't hesitate to pick up the call. We take about 13,000 calls a month it remains just a, a really important support operation for us. It's actually been running over a decade now. We've taken 1.5 million calls in that time. And um, the general theory and why I started it was because I wanted every single customer and employee to be able to get online quickly, um, whether that's you're just getting something new out of the box or there's an issue that's come up um, and you need some assistance. That's why it began and that's something that remains an absolute value to that operation since. But we are gonna to continue to see what we can do to make that even quicker, easier, um, and more e independent for everyone to be able to use and get, to, uh, get online as quickly as you can. So I'll be fascinated what you think um, and I urge you to give it a try and also to try out Be My Eyes' own pilot 
um, as they have their own partnership with OpenAI and are leveraging that technology. It's an exciting time, but let me just kind of boil us a little bit back on artificial intelligence, because uh, I've also had many questions about it. And I will say that I'm excited about the potential with artificial intelligence as it gets embedded into many of our products. You may hear the term Copilot, Windows Copilot, Office Copilot, and this is leveraging artificial intelligence to help you to build documents, get to what you need uh, to get the results you want quicker. So the quickest and best example I can give is you're trying to build a document you have a list of bullet points and you have your research or you want to find the research uh, that will help you for your document. If you type that into uh, GPT and Bing GPT uh, is our engine, it can help you to fill in the gaps. It can pull out research articles that may be relevant and then you can decide because you it's a, it's a co-pilot, you are in control, what is the right thing to embed for me, I build a lot of decks, I build a lot of PowerPoints, and I can now take my outline or my Word document, I can put it in PowerPoint, and it will create create the deck for me. It's gonna be an immense time saver, but it is important as we go through to remember three key principles, which is what we're staying very grounded to. Number one, it's got to be accessible. Uh, in fact, those standards, the bar of accessibility doesn't shift. In many ways, it goes up it's got to be an accessible implementation. Number two, we've got to embed disability data into artificial intelligence. All that artificial intelligence is, is smart agents um, that are going through reams and reams and reams of data. If we have data in there and pictures of canes, braille devices, braille readers, um, it's got pictures of glasses, it's got pictures of anything that you can imagine would be important to your daily life, then it's going to give smarter decisions and recommendations. Data matters and it must be disability representative. And thirdly, we want to educate and we need to educate and we need to innovate going forward. That innovation piece is crucial and Be My Eyes, the integration with Disability Answer Desk, the Seeing AI, are some of the early examples of what you're going to see going forward. But if you have any questions on anything to do with anything I've just spoken about, again, I kind of come back, call dad, call Disability Answer Desk and tell us what you think. Let me know your feedback. We're always listening. In fact, my happiest times, because uh, I am a bit of an operationalist and um, I've been at the company, gosh, through many iterations and worked on many different things, but I love, love hearing your feedback. It's what pivots us daily. Um, it creates our priorities for the coming week, for the month, for the year. It's where you need and want us to invest. We're deeply listening. Um, and we also partner with a number of amazing organizations, including the ACB, and also through our non-tech acceleration partnership through many organizations around the world focused on disability and accessibility. It's all about learning. Um, and by doing that, we will be able to raise the bar in accessibility, not just in technology, but in hiring and skilling. So if you wanna know anything more about what I've talked about, please check out microsoft.com slash accessibility. 
look me up on LinkedIn. My name is Jenny Layflurry, L-A-Y-F-L-U-R-R-I-E, or check out any number of the online skilling programs that we put on board. In fact, we just opened up, thanks to our partners at LinkedIn, uh, six new accessibility skilling courses to help people who may be new um, to our cool gang, uh, who want to learn more about accessibility and more. So do check us out, do let me know your feedback, and please enjoy the rest of the conference. I look forward to hearing any and all of your thoughts, um, and I will see you, well, hopefully in a sunny climb soon. Take care. Bye-bye. That was a marvelous presentation, and uh, I have to tell you that if you do ever get an opportunity to uh, meet Jenny Lee Fleury, she is just as awesome in person um, as, as she could possibly be. She is the most genuine person and just really cool. Let me also just mention really quickly that Microsoft had a couple of really interesting sessions during the virtual portion of the convention. I think that was several years ago now, wasn't it? <laughs> it's been a while, a couple of weeks ago, but it was really, really a great um, present, couple of presentations. One kind of the sharing uh, some of the stories and lives of the people who work there who are blind, but the other was definitely on a little bit more close up and personal on their AI projects and uh, very, very, very fascinating stuff. So uh, that will eventually be available in a podcast. And when it is, I do absolutely encourage you to, to um, take advantage of hearing it because it was, it was really very interesting. And I have to hear it again because I got called away for several technical assistance things during the middle. So I missed some of it myself. All right, we are continuing this morning with our ACB Angels. We uh, took some time out from our angel tributes yesterday because we had so much business to do. But now we are able to, once again, uh, focus a little time on our ACB Angels. I told you that we had uh, 14 ACB Angels this year, which is a phenomenal number of them and says two things to me. It says that we are losing some of our members and friends, which is always a hard and sad thing. But it also says that we do absolutely um, buy into this idea of commemorating people and not forgetting them. And so I always, every year, go out and look at the angel wall because there are several people out there who have been major in my life who are on our wall. And so um, it is a nice remembrance. This morning we're going to start our angel uh, tributes with someone who I know many of us know, and that is uh, uh, Dan Sippel from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Against the sparkling background, the letters ACB, and below each its corresponding braille cell, ACB presents ACB Angel. Daniel Francis Sippel, February 25, 1951 to December 14, 2022. Dan, a white man with thinning hair, wears glasses and a suit and tie. Scott Egan. Hello, everyone. Scott Egan here, president of RSVA, and uh, I'm here to remember Dan Sippel. Uh, Dan was a, a very dear friend to me. Um, certainly, we started a work relationship uh, a number of years ago, and um, 
long stories, short story. Uh, he did invite me uh, in to be the um, the head of the Sagebrush Committee, the chair of Sagebrush Committee. And um, so I did accept that post and uh, got to work closely with Dan. And as the years went on, uh, we, we really forged a very deep relationship besides all the work issues. We often talked about family and friends and things going on in our lives. And um, uh, when it came time, he wanted to step away from being the president. So I did step up and he told me many times, I got your back. I got your back. Uh, don't worry about what's, uh, what's ahead. I'll be here with you. And my gosh, you know, um, just, you know, any, uh, anything that we were close on, we just became so much closer and uh, he was always there for me. I'd call him up often and say, you know, uh, what do you think about this? What, what, what should I do about this? Always had an answer, always prepared to listen to anything I had going on in my brain. And sometimes it was uh, just rattlings. And sometimes he'd say, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, just forged a really close relationship with him. And, uh, uh, you know, so many people told me after Dan's passing that uh, he was just always so open, so willing to help. And I have to put myself in that same list of other people. It just, he's missed. Um, <laughs> he big hands, big heart for Dan. He was, he was an amazing man, always willing to share his knowledge, always trying to teach, uh, always trying to have that moment with people, and just so many people looked up to him. Um, just never—you never heard a bad word about Dan. His, his—he just had an amazing heart. He just always wanted to help, always ready to help anybody he could, and uh, just kept kept everything going. Uh, Just—I—I—I uh, I, I learned so much from him. And uh, there's not a day, there's not a day goes by here since he passed that I don't think about Dan. And um, so many times I just want to grab the phone and call him and say, Dan, I've got some questions and I can't quite figure th- some things out. And uh, yeah, he's, he, he was an important piece to me. He was an important piece to RSVA. Uh, we're definitely a different organization without him. And uh, I, I just know he loved his family. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. Loved to talk about his family. Love to talk about his friends. Love to talk about his RSVA family. And, uh, yeah, the world's not the same place without Dan. It really isn't. And uh, we love you, Dan. We miss you so much. And uh, thanks for all that you've done for us. I never got a chance to say thank you when you were uh, with us. But uh, thank you, Dan. You just have meant the world to me. You've meant the world to so many people you touched. And we all miss you. So, Thank you so much. A logo, ACB, in print and braille. American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. That's, that's definitely the kind of tribute you want to have on video because it'd be too hard to do live. My goodness. All right. Very, very nice. All right. Our next... Um, our next um, uh, angel will be uh, Terry uh, Carmordella, and um, she, it, this is uh, from uh, uh, Merrow, um, Louisiana. So let's do this one. 
Against the sparkling background, the letters ACB, and below each its corresponding Braille cell, ACB presents ACB Angel. Terry Carmadol, September 23, 1945 to September 5, 2021. Terry is a white man, bald with a goatee and mustache. He holds a beer and a snack. Kim Venable. Terry Carmadol was born on September 23, 1945, into one of West Wego, Louisiana's oldest families. The Carmadol family had resided in West Wego for nearly 100 years prior to Terry's birth, and they are widely respected throughout the community as honest and hardworking folks. Terry's father, Roy Commodale, was a shrimper by trade and also worked for many years at the Avondale Shipyard as a safety supervisor. Frances Commodale, Terry's mother, was a homemaker known for her quiet, gentle, yet strong demeanor. Terry was born with a low vision disability that did not become apparent until he became he began elementary school. He attended the local West Wego school, which was ill-equipped to accommodate Terry's low vision disability. Each day, Frances was unable to read or, or write herself, would walk young Terry to school in the morning, return by noon to bring Terry's home for lunch, walk Terry back to school for the afternoon session, and finally accompany Terry back home when school dismissed. School was a difficult experience for Terry and his low vision, made socializing with his classmates even more challenging. Roy and Francis decided to homeschool Terry after he completed the third grade. At that point, Terry could not read or write. With great wisdom, Francis apprenticed Terry at the local corner store, which happened to be owned and operated by Terry's godmother. Terry, Terry not only learned the daily routine of a small grocery business, but mastered reading, writing, and arithmetic. Terry was given the opportunity to progress at all at his own pace in the nurturing environment of family and friends. Through his younger years, Terry took up the commodal qualities of honesty and hard work, eventually building many enduring business partnerships, and becoming the manager of a local supermarket. During the mid-1970s, Terry learned of the Louisiana Randolph Shepard program and decided to roll, enroll into it. At that time, Randolph Shepard candidates were trained on the job by senior, well-seasoned managers. Terry overtook the training and successfully landed his first stand in a short order. Since 1975, Terry has operated over 35 Randolph Shepard stands in the Metro New Orleans market, more than, oh, more than any vendor in the history of the Louisiana Randolph Shepard program. Terry assumed the chairmanship of Louisiana's Blind Vendors Elected Committee more than 25 years ago and has helped guided the program through many challenging times. As the executive director of the Randolph Shepard Vendors of Louisiana, RSVL Inc., Terry has been a great a big part in building RSVL RSVL into a self-sustaining nonprofit organization that owns and operates one of the largest bingo halls in the state of Louisiana. The Azalea Bingo Hall has become the lifeline of funding for Randolph Shepard Vendors of America RSVL Inc. and Louisiana Council of the Blind. It also hosts, hosts several other charitable organizations. 
also active in various blind advocacy groups. Terry remained active in the Randolph Shepard Program of America, Randolph Shepard Vendors of Louisiana, Louisiana Council of the Blind, the American Council of the Blind. Terry is a member of the local Mason's Lodge through his through his long tenure has counted was counted among his friends some of the most renowned figures in the blind movement including Robert Humphreys, Derrick McDaniel, Walter Siren and Jean Heisler just to name a few. The Randolph Shepherd program is a family affair to the Commodales. Terry's wife of over 50 years, Bonnie, has on more than one occasion operated Randolph Shepherd locations with Terry. Both of Terry's daughters and his grandchildren, nieces and nephews, have all worked for the RSVL Inc. or organizations that supported blind vendors. When asked what the Randolph Shepherd program has meant to him, Terry makes it cle- makes a clear case. It gave me opportunities I wouldn't have had otherwise. It allowed me to operate and build a small business and support my family without leaving my wife or my daughters or my mom. It gave me the opportunity to buy a home in West, West we go and remain in New Orleans all these years. It gave me a chance to give back to the community, the state, and the national program for all the blessings I've received doing the, during these years. Most of all, Randolph Shepard helped me realize many things about myself that I wouldn't have found any other way. Sadly, Terry passed away on September 5th, 2021 at the age of 75. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Yeah, that's amazing. Great stories. I love the stories. I really do. It's so good. And I didn't know Terry, actually, but that's such a great story. Our final angel for this morning is Richard Bird from Cleveland, Ohio. Against the sparkling background, the letters ACB, and below each, its corresponding Braille cell, ACB presents ACB Angel, Richard L. Bird, September 8, 1952 to December 26, 2022. Richard is a white man with dark hair and mustache. He wears large, round glasses. Artist Basil. Hello, ACB members. I'm here to talk about Richard Bird as an RSVA angel. Uh, Richard Bird was a longtime member of Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. When he was younger, he served in the national or, or served in the army from uh, for the Vietnam War, and later he joined the RSVA, which is Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. He had a burning desire to make the Randolph Shepard program better than ever. He wanted to help and employ many other blind and visually impaired persons. He wanted to make sure other blind people had the same opportunities that he did. He was the president of RSVA for several years and was very active advocate for RSVA and Randolph Shepard vendors. He served on the original committee for Sagebrush, which is the national training BEP conference for RSVA vendors and staff working with the vendors. And he helped make that training the best it could be. 
He was given very, very many awards. One of the awards was a certificate from the his local Ohio Blind Vendors Organization for helping Ohio. In the 1990s, they tried to eliminate the Randolph Shepard program in Ohio, and he and many other advocates in Ohio made sure that that program kept going. In 1997, he received the Vendor of the Year Award from Randolph Shepard Vendors of America. In order to get that award, you have to have been a member for at least five years and active locally and nationally. In 2014, he received the Don Cameron Award for Advocacy. That is an award given by RSVA to RSVA members who have been in the RSVA for a minimum of 20 years and have advocated locally, statewide, and nationally for the Randolph Shepard program. He was also an active part of the Blinded Veterans Association, and he worked with them to make sure that they understood what the Randolph Shepard Act was all about, making sure that other blind people who had lost their vision um, while serving or after serving could join the Randolph Shepard program. He also was an active member of the um, Visually Impaired Veterans of America, which is another ACB affiliate. He tried to keep that affiliate going because he knew it was important for ACB members to be aware of the Randolph Shepard Act. And he wanted to make sure that all visually impaired people were aware of this program that veterans could join as well as other blind and visually impaired persons. He was beloved by many people in RSVA locally and in the state. Many people felt that he was a very good friend, and I did too. I met him in the 80s at Sagebrush and have known him had known him for over 30 years and found him to be a wonderful friend and supporter of blind and visually impaired people. He did do uh, join some local fundraisers in Ohio uh, for some ACB chapters later on. And so it was always um, a benefactor for many organizations and would help blind and visually impaired people whenever he could but especially the Randolph Shepard program, because he felt that that program was a good career opportunity for any blind and visually impaired person. So I want you to remember Richard Berg. He was a great angel for ACB and RSVA. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. All right. Thank you to all of our uh, presenters for Angels this morning. And goodness, lots of loss for RSVA. But we are uh, moving on. And uh, so I have moved a part of the program up from Thursday to today because we have a little bit of extra time to do that. 
And so um, we are going to hear uh, from our, uh, our access and uh, uh, peer support mentoring program uh, with uh, Kenneth Simeon Sr. And he's going to introduce uh, what has been happening this past nine months in our mentoring program and share some of the highlights of that with you for the next few minutes. Good morning, ACB. We have been working on our mentorship access and peer support program for nine months now. And we began next, uh, we began, began September 15th of 2022 and we just concluded the program on June 15th of 2023. The nine-month pilot program consisted of 12 guys who are mentors and 12 explorers who are mentees. And that was a class of 2023, and we had a ceremony for them yesterday. It was a reception and graduation ceremony, and we we're happy to give you more input about our program and how we're going to we're going to move forward uh, in this upcoming uh, few months. So I want to introduce you now to Cheryl Cummings from the mentoring team, and she'll present some details. Okay. Um, good morning, everyone. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the purpose. Uh, share some reflections, and then talk a little bit about some of the successes we had um, during this nine-month pilot program. Um, so you might have heard our origin story, because every entity has an origin story, where um, Dan Spoon in, together uh, knew about different committees that were working towards a mentoring program and brought us together. But I want to step back a little bit and talk about... Um, another sort of underpinning that led to at least the Multicultural Affairs Committee getting interested and focusing on issues around mentoring. So in 2020, there was a resolution that was passed that basically called on ACB to develop a mentoring program that would promote people of color and people um, from different ethnic and racial backgrounds um, and provide opportunities for us to um, access leadership opportunities. So the, using that as an impetus for the work of the Multicultural Affairs Committee, uh, we started talking about mentoring, and then this is where Dan and the other committees get involved because um, thanks to sort of sharing that with Dan, he was able to let me know and to invite um, MCAC to work with the DKM committee and the Burl Cauley Leadership Institute and with the membership committee to create this program. As you can imagine, when you think of a new initiative or a new idea, um, we were able to reach out to organizations outside of ACB that offer mentoring programs to get their guidance. And I think if, if you all remember, um, we did do community calls. And so uh, to get input from our own ACB community to help us develop and design sort of the structure and the content of the uh, mentoring program. As, as uh, 
Kevin, uh, Kenneth mentioned, this, this was a pilot. And so we learned a few things. Um, we learned about um, the importance of, I think, defining, and, and um, Donna will talk about this, you know, getting more specific about the criteria for being a guide and for being an explorer. Um, we learned about uh, time zones. <laughs> and, and, how, and how that uh, can impact uh, opportunities for people to get together and talk with each other. Um, but we also learned, you know, that um, as, as mentors and mentees come together, uh, people had goals that they, that they identified. And one of the things we learned is that sometimes, you know, you start off with a huge aspiration or a huge goal in that there's nothing wrong with having to refine that. Um, and we learned that there's something important about sort of sticking to a commitment. Um, even in as much as some of the pairs that we put together where there was in, uh, quite a difference in time, um, I was so impressed by the teams that st stuck together and figured it out. Uh, and we also learned that it's important that, you know, when you encounter issues that you need to be able or feel comfortable reaching out and that there's no shame in saying, I need some assistance, I need some guidance. Um, but I'm going to end up by talking about some successes. Uh, one, I would say that we weren't quite anticipating so soon, but we're pretty excited that it happened. We have at least two participating mentees who achieved their personal goals of becoming presidents of their local chapters. So we're pretty excited about that. And one of our teams that had the really um, wide time zone um, issue, um, they have become, I think, super close personally. And, and a lot of the teams talk about that. And, and together, they've been working on and have presented some um, activities within, within the community. So again, you know, sort of sticking it to, together. Um, absolutely works. And you know, last but not least is just the feedback we've received from, bo from both guides and explorers, how important the, um, this opportunity has been for them because it has given people an opportunity to connect with somebody that they didn't necessarily know, but also to um, learn some skills and to share ideas and experiences that uh, they think will, you know, are helpful to them and will be helpful as they pursue their leadership goals. So thank you so much. Hello, every. Oh, sorry. Hello, everyone. I was using my teacher voice. Excuse me. So I am Donna Brown, co-chair of the Burl Collie Leadership uh, Institute Training Committee, and I get to do the fun part of this presentation. So I get to introduce 
uh, you to the graduating class of the pilot program. And so, um, as I say, the names, the, the, some are going to be familiar to you. Some of the names are going to be new to you. And uh, I, I just want to go on record and thank each one of these people participants for all the hard work they did this year. So um, as I say the names, uh, if you could stand, and I guess even if you're on Zoom, you might need a stretch break. You could stand too. Um, but those that are in the room, please stand and be recognized as I say your names. As I say the teams, I'm going to name the explorer or the mentee first, and then I will mention the, the guide or um, mentor. So here we go. Uh, we have Belinda Collins from North Carolina and Pam Shaw from Pennsylvania. Here's a familiar name. Next is Natalie Couch from Kentucky and Paul Edwards from Florida. And then we have Joe Green from California Deanna Noriega from Missouri. Then we have Kristen Kelling from Michigan and Patty Slobby from Wisconsin. And then we have KL, I don't know how to say that right, but anyway, Wright from Hawaii and Penny Reeder from Maryland. One of those time zone ones. <laughs> Uh, we have Lisa Sled from Michigan, Jeff Tom from California. Then we have Mo Carpenter from Iowa and Marianne Grignon from Florida. Christy Crespin from California, John McCann from Missouri. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Arizona, excuse me. I don't know why I said that. I know where he's from. Shoo, excuse me, John. <laughs> then we have Kelsey Nicolay from Ohio and Ray Campbell from Illinois. Here's a, a new name, Lisha Potticle from New Jersey and Lynn Corout from Washington. Anthony Alcamini from Hawaii, and Lucy Edmonds from Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> and our final group is Dorley Martinez from Nevada, and Donna Williams from Pennsylvania. And again, congratulations to each one of them, and thank you, ACB, for supporting this program. Okay, this is Kenneth, I'm back. And we want to uh, thank once again our participants for the pilot program, for joining in and helping us to build a better program moving forward. And we will continue to seek to identify and empower leaders for tomorrow for ACB. The pilot program has ended, so we're gonna move into an official program coming up in a few months. And it will be called the ACB Inspire mentoring program. And 
the inspired the acronyms we have uh, for I, it's imagine, in, nurture, S, support, P, prepare, I, influence, R, reflect, and E, evolve. So you hear more, you will hear more about those components. As we move forward, we'll begin to seek a second cohort for the mentoring program, and uh, we hope that you will continue to to read email that is put out and announcements that are, will be put out soon so that you can consider applying for the program as a guide or explorer. And you'll, you can feel free to ask questions at any time uh, to any one of us. I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier, but some of you know that I am the chair of the Derwood K. McDaniel Fund Committee, and I really have enjoyed working with uh, the other ladies from different committees within ACB. And we'll continue to move forward. Now, I'll pass the mic to Donna Browning just to give you a few dates to remember. Here we go. I had to figure out how to bring it down to my level. I'm little. I'm the short one of the group. All right. So I'm going to give you a few important dates to remember. Put in your calendar. All right. So the first thing we're going to do, we're going to have a few community calls pretty soon after we get home from convention. The first one will be July 13th, and the next one will be July 15th. Um, then we're going to start uh, beginning to accept um, applications on July 17th. Uh, and we will be done with that on Thursday, August the 17th. Um, then um, we will, um, let's see, our program actually starts. I'm getting to my times here. All right. <clears throat> it begins Wednesday, September 13th, and will conclude June the 13th. And uh, keep your ears open. There will be other dates as time comes along for you to uh, put on your calendar, uh, especially for those who do um, want to apply. And when, uh, if and when you get accepted, there will be other dates to follow that will be important for you to put on your calendar. We're excited to meet our new class, and thank you for um, having us up, and have a great day. Okay. Uh, now Cheryl Cummings will come back for a few uh, remarks as we close, and I will conclude. Um, I've learned one thing that I need to pay attention because Kevin keeps trying to give me more and more work. I don't know why he does that. Um, but I want to say, uh, I want to remind you about uh, something about the mentoring program. So in a lot of parts of our lives, somebody else gets to determine whether you have put the potential to be a leader or not. What, what I think is unique and truly important about this program 
is that we're asking you to make that determination for yourself. We're asking you to apply, to step forward, and, and in doing so, express your own interests in being a leader. So I truly hope that anyone who's hearing my voice, who's listening, will take advantage of this opportunity. And if you really think that you've got something to give to ACV and that you want to get involved more deeply in the work of ACV, please, please take advantage of this opportunity and apply. Thanks. Okay, we continue to be available uh, for questions, sharing comments, any input you may have to help us to strengthen our program for ACB, uh, let us know. You can communicate with us by sending email to acb.mentoring at gmail.com. That's acb.mentoring at gmail.com. Thank you so much. You tall people. All right, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to. I'm, I'm introduce a resolution about this height thing. <laughs> Oops. There we go. I think that's better. All right. And this, huh? You're voting against that. <laughs> You're out of order. <laughs> All right, very good. Um, all right, just a moment, I lost my place. Okay, so uh, I, I just wanted to mention that last night I did go to the uh, graduation for the MAPS people, and it was just so amazing. Everybody was so enthusiastic, and um, they, there was so much uh, energy there, and uh, these are the people who are our leaders and are our future leaders, so... Um, I think we want to continue to support that program and uh, definitely if that's of interest to you or members of your particular um, affiliate, you want to make sure that you get to those calls and learn about that application process, which is very, very good. Okay. Um, we have a lot of great uh guests this morning, and I'm really excited about them. And our presiding officer for today is going to be Denise Colley, and she is, of course, our ACB secretary. And this is actually the uh, session I've usually gotten to preside over, so I'm kind of jealous, because <laughs> I think this one's just very, very cool. So let's, uh, uh, I'm going to move my notes for you. And uh, I will uh, introduce Denise Colley, and she will begin to work through our program this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deb. I agree. This is the best day. Good morning, a ACB, and happy Independence Day. And I'm already prepared. I have my blind girl's flag shirt on, so I'm ready to go. Our first presenter this morning is somebody that I've been really excited to um, want to get to meet, and I get to hear her twice, because 
we get to hear her today, and anybody coming to the BRL breakfast tomorrow gets to hear her again. Every year we have an international guest come to speak to us, and this year is, um, you know, no, uh, we're doing it again, and our guest this morning is from a place that I've always wanted to go visit, so maybe someday I'll get there. Please help me give a big ACB welcome to our international guest, Martine Abel Williamson, who is... <laughs> She is currently president of the World Blind Union, which we've heard a lot about, and she is from Auckland, New Zealand. Martine, welcome. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's really amazing being here. Um, first, I want to thank you for inviting me. In 2019, in January, Janet emailed me saying, oh, can you come and um, present to us? I said, yeah, sure. And then two months later, the world changed. Um, I'm like, okay. And, um, and I must tell you people that, um, that for many countries, the, the world just threw people at, at the pandemic, but New Zealand closed the country down. And it was a bit traumatic because, you know, you go from, oh, I can do shopping, I can do whatever, and then suddenly um, you'll stay at home and you only take your dog for a walk and you'll, and, and you'll um, uh, avoid other people. But, you know, and then afterwards I realized that... Um, our Prime Minister, for, 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 for a little country of five, for five million, decided that economic growth is not worth people dying. And that is why New Zealand, um, we, we're in a, a bit of a difficult time now because uh, the, the, um, the, the, the party is getting uh, slack. But... Um, that is why in, in 2020, most of us survived because we closed it down. But then, I just want to say that um, I traveled at the end of 2021 because I was voted in as president of World Bump Union. And I thought the least I could do is visit um, people. And it was very uh, traumatic because, you know, you travel and you've got to fill out all these forms. And then I had to go back to New Zealand and I had to go into quarantine and all sorts. But I actually want to say that, you know, it, 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 it was all fine. Um, and in, in the end, um, we, we all have to think, how can we look after one another? How can we... How can we um, take care after one another. So, um, I became a, the, the president of the World Blind Union in a very difficult time. It, it, it should have been 2020 and then it was 2021 because it, it got changed for the year. And um, I 
so no, so none of us could travel. And um, in 2019, I took my guide dog to um, Las Vegas from New Zealand for the um, for a conference there. And I realized then that it's a very, it's quite hard taking your dog 12 hours on a flight, then two hours uh, in transit, and then two hours on a flight. Um, but I wanted to do it because I wanted to look at the cost and the, um, and the time. And that's why I did it in 2019 when I went to the NFB conference. But it was very traumatic because I got to the States and I'm like, my dog is here now. Um, and he's, and yeah, so I think we've got lots of work to do about international travel. But I also want to, because many of us want to travel with our dogs, right? I, I'm here without my dog, and if anybody, if any one of you miss your dog, you know, I'll, it will be with me because I'll probably, I'll probably stole it. <laughs> um, and then I want to tell you that um, when the COVID struck, I think most of, most of the world went, what the if, you know? <laughs> but I think us as disabled people went. Oh, well, we had to always just um, adjust how we do things. If someone can't tell us how to do shopping, then we've got to do it a different way. And I think most of us went through COVID thinking, um, unless we lost someone, which I will not um, diminish, we're like, oh, fine, I'll, I'll work from home. Thank goodness I don't have to travel to work. I can just work from home. Or um, I can do shopping from home. I remember when New Zealand closed down, we said, okay, fine, you can close us down, but how are we going to shopping? And so the shopping will be accessible. And But so many people did shopping that many of us got up at midnight to to do shopping, you know, so I would get up at 2 a.m., do my shopping. Um, yeah, so I think that many of us, when the world closed down and said to us, we're in a pandemic, I think many of us were actually ready for it because we're so used to change things. We're so used to say, Fine, I'll, I'll, I'll just have to do things differently because you, you can't um, handle me doing things a specific way. And that is what I want to say to people today is that um, COVID didn't just tell us how to do things on Zoom and Teams. COVID actually showed the world that disabled people can just get on with life. Because so many people, because so many people couldn't. So, um, and I want to tell you guys today that um, thank you for inviting me. You know, when um, um, when Janet wrote me in 2020 and say, "Oh, you can you can come and visit us?" Yeah, 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 I'll come and visit you. And then it was it was changed. Um, 
And I thought afterwards, okay, so what will I, what can I bring? I mean, that, that you guys don't have already. Because let's face it, you guys got guide dogs, you got your, 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 tra your, your paratransit, mind you. I actually um, got a much better solution for paratransit. Um, in New Zealand, you can get 75% off all taxi cost because you're a blind person. So you don't have to order a special taxi and a special this and that. I can ring up any taxi and say... Um, and show a card, and I'll get 75% off. So nothing special about ordering a special taxi or anything. We, we, need, we need mainstream services to accommodate us. Because if I could take a bus, which is uh, two kilometers from my home, and um, then I could do that. But, you know, so... I think our messages take, take, take mainstream services and make those accessible, right? And then I also want to say to people that um, thank you for in, in, inviting me to be here in person. I think that, you know, we all link in Zoom. I, I live on Zoom. I live on Teams. I live on... Google, I live on. Name it, I live on it. But being here with you um, in the last few days. And Gabe and Anthony, I just want to say that I think we should do a um, wine tasting, uh, uh, a bi-nation thing, New Zealand, uh, New Zealand American. You know, we should just do some something really out there, you know, um, because I, I, I do think that we're now ready for us all to link again, and um, and I also want to thank people who I know here, people like uh, Dan Spoon with um, ACVREP that in included me with the um, audio description standards. And I want to thank, amongst you all, you have uh, Kim Charlson, who is our World Blind Union World Braille Council Chair. Now, you talk to her because she's, she, she's got the power, you know. Um, <laughs> we can, um, you, you can say to her, you, you've got the world, the chair, you know, what is going to happen? Because um, we know, we're not into codes. We're into promoting um, the... Um, the, the world site in, in uh, Paris. We're into promoting world blind um, uh, codes across the world. This is not about codes like ICEB. Um, this is about additional braille things. What would you want to happen in additional world things? So there is your people and, and, and Judy Dixon, of course. I mean, you can't exclude Judy Dixon because Judy is, um, is, is everywhere. <laughs> so, um, um, so, and now we're going to do an infomercial. From 4 to 5, from 4 p.m., I'll be talking about um, how I got involved in 
advocacy and um, how I got born to um, um, in, in this world from Namibia to South Africa to to New Zealand. So um, this is a commercial for um, don't just um, listen to me today. Turn up, please, at Schomburg E at four. Is it four? Yes. Yeah. At four. At four. At four today. But I also want to. I'll give you a bit of a taste. I got born um, because I was um, from a um, from from a single parent, and. At that time, you know, we're talking about the early 70s, and your, your, your parents would sort of disown you if you get pregnant, as if you did it on your own, right? Uh, so, um, um, I, so um, when I when I when I was when I was born, my, my family disowned me, and um, my mum was in the hospital which I'll tell you about later, at 4 p.m. today. And um, the, the doctor who, who um, helped get me into this world, uh, he was strong because he was, his birthday was on 8 July. My birthday was on 9 July, right? So he was called out on 8 July. You, get, you have to come and give this person a birth. <laughs> and I was born on 9 July. And it was fortunately a fairly straightforward birth. And... Um, and um, he, he gave me my name because he was um, uh, who he was. So what I want to tell people today is we, COVID showed us resilience. COVID showed us that we can, um, we, we're not just the first responders. We're not just the, we're not just the, um, the deficit people. And, and I'm here from the World Blind Union. And, and also, come tonight at four to hear about the, the, the 10th year anniversary of the, um, oh, what do you call it, the, the um, Marrakesh Treaty. For, for 10 years, for 10 years we finally can actually order any book at any time, at any cost. And um, and if you so if you're part of a of a global book service like a, a special library like NLS or whatever, you can say I want Harry Potter or I want a, a crime novel or I want whoever. Look, my, all my novels are very crime. I'm into very grim stuff, so I'm into grim and murder and whatever. Um, and it's there, but also. The supplementary agreement, which many of you might not know is available, is mean that you don't have to go through your library. You could just look, you could just go onto the Global Book Service with your um, ID as a blind person and um, find any title, whether it's music, crime, whatever. So I just wanted to tell people I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, and please stay in touch with me, and uh, we'll, we'll um, with a wind of change. Okay, finally, the wind, your, your, your conference is winds of change, and.
people have, have focused on winds of change because you can't see a wind, right? But it's very philosophical, winds of change, winds. Um, in New Zealand, we've got a uh, indigenous uh, concept called pairangi, which is um, the, the horizon. Now, many of you who can see, can see that if you look ahead, you'll see where the sky touches the earth, and it is the horizon. Um, and we can't see winds, but we can see ahead where there is a, uh, where, is, where there's a light, you know, blue skies. So I want to I wanna stop today by telling you guys that um, this saying is about pairangi, this saying is about horizon. And it came from COVID, and it came from all of you because we're here today. And the saying is, we're not bound by the distance between us, but by our shared horizon, by our pairangi. Thank you. Thank you, Martine. We do have time for a few questions. So if you have a question here in the room, please get to a microphone. If you have a question in Zoom, please raise your hand. And if we have any hands raised in Zoom, you can let me know who they are. No hands in Zoom at this time. No hands in Zoom. Any questions from the floor? Anybody getting to a mic? I know they're hard to find, so we'll give a few minutes. Well, this group is really quiet today. <laughs> we do have someone in Zoom now. Veronica Elsie. All right. Um, Veronica, go ahead. Hi. I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about what was experienced by blind people in various countries that maybe don't have all of the online goodies that we have and how different groups might have been impacted because maybe blind people aren't so important in some of the countries and just how maybe the World Blind Union might have addressed that. We are getting a mic to her. Hold on one second. Can you repeat the question for her, please? Go ahead, Veronica. Oh, okay. Um, my question was, 
how much the World Blind Union either observed or got involved in in terms of the experiences of blind people in countries that didn't have all of the internet goodies and things that we had in order to survive COVID? And were they considered an important enough population to get help and services and some of the care that some of us take for granted? Thank you. Um, that is a very important question. Um, clearly, we, we tried to reach out. Um, when the war broke out in um, uh, the Ukraine, um, we, we created a fund, and that fund is over uh, 100,000 now, thanks to all of you that um, contributed. So we realized that not everybody is online. Um, and we realized that it's, it's um, people from Ukraine and anywhere else that can uh, benefit from our service. So because we've got um, six regions, we've got, um, in this case, in your case, North America, Car- Caribbean, we are in touch with people um, manually who who are not always online. So we realize that sometimes that when we lose touch online, we need to connect um, because of our personal networks. So we can assure people that we, we do connect with people. But please let me know. I mean, I, I, um, I tell people, contact me personally. Tell me, put, this people on, put these people on your networks. So I want to say to people, yes, online is great, artificial intelligence is great, and we want to in, we want to embrace it. But let us know who is there to contact, and if there's anybody we should contact via phone or in, in any other way, then we will do that. Thank you. Thank now, you. Madam President has a question. Yes, it's great to have you here today with us, Martine, and it's just really exciting to hear the different progress and the different issues. So if you could change one thing for blind people globally, what would that be? Wow. Um, (laughs) I want people to wake up feeling... um, a valued person. Do you wake up feeling I'm a valued person? Some days, yeah, most days. Well, we should. Yeah. I want everybody to wake up, whether it's with a hangover, whether it's <laughs> whether it's whether it's sober, whether it's oh shit, it's work tomorrow, whether it's I've got to do my washing. I want people to wake up thinking. I'm a valued person, and by goodness, I'm going to make myself valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have a question. Okay, hold on, um, because our executive director has a question. Hello, Martine. It's great to have you with us today. 
You mentioned that you are serving on the ACV REP audio description uh, advisory committee. Can you share a little bit about how you see audio description progressing around the world in your role with the World Blind Union? You guys do a lot in the States. In, in New Zealand, for instance, we don't even have it in cinema, right? We have it in theater, but not in cinema. And so I'm almost as a passenger because I just want it to happen. I just want to say, I don't want to know how it happens. I don't want to know the, the, tech, the technicalities. I don't want to know the boxes that you've got installed and, and whatever. I just want to switch um, something on and it must happen. And that is what I, my message is, is you know, um, the first time I watched something on audio description was a, a probably um, a fatal attraction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which was rather interesting, um, taking that, um, it was like, Oh, my word. Um, okay, fine. That's what they're doing. Um, all I, so I just, you know, so in New Zealand, we got great um, audio description on, on TV, on, on national TV, um, but not on cinema. And I realized here it's more on cinema. And I also realized that we need to talk about standards, about not telling people what they should think but telling people what they're seeing. And that's what I'm telling. And, and you know, so my two uh, good examples is Eight Below, with the two dog, with the eight dogs, um, you know, we, um, we, we um, people get left, the dogs get left in the, in the pole, and you, and you see one dying and the others, but no one tells you. You've got to just realize that um, where there's an empty, empty collar, that a dog died. And then I also look at the Passion of the Christ, which is Aramaic, which, which has not just got the audio description, but one voice telling you the, um, the uh, language and another voice telling you the audio description. And, they, and, and I thought that was done really well. So I think you guys are doing very well. And I think that it should be legislated. It shouldn't be up to guidelines. And... Um, that's what I'm telling people around the world. Don't say guidelines, guidelines, guidelines. Oh, guidelines is great, you know. Uh, legislate it, you know. And um, so, so that's why I want to praise you all for that. So that's why I love my role in that audio description role because it's like a guiding role. It's not telling me what's happening. You look at the sixth sense, right? You look at when the... When the um, a guy realized he's, he's, he's dead. No one says, oh, he realizes he's dead. It, he, he just, it, you know, he, he looks, he realizes that it's only him at, um, presenting um, with other people. And I think that is such a skill. So I want to take my hat off for you all, all here in, in the States because you're really bringing us the art of audio description, so thank you. Uh, and the gentleman who had may the I question. Ask, yes, may I ask a question? Hold okay. on, hold on. Oh, good morning. Um, my name is Greg. You can uh, call me Triple G, that's what everybody in the uh, 
community calls me, but um, my question for you is this. How do you, um, as proposed, a lot of people with blindness also have other uh, disabilities. How do we better reach out specifically, uh, virtually, um, to people with other disabilities and um, who may not have the same level of understanding as far as um, connecting, you know, um, through Zoom and other platforms like that? Great question. You know, I'm part of the International Disability Alliance, and because I'm part of it, I give um, the information, information through to Kim and um, Dan and Deep and Judy and other people. What? Because let's face it, many of us are not just yeah. blind. We've got um, uh, mental health and um, arthritis and dementia and other conditions. So please um, remind your local provider that we need information about it. And I can assure you that internationally, at World Health Organization level, and at International Disability Alliance level, we don't just focus on one impairment. Because, you know, it, it, it's, we've got a whole, we've got a holistic, we've got to have a, a holistic view of society. So um, stay in touch about that and online, and we definitely take that into consideration. Okay. Have hands on Zoom. Okay, well, may I ask a question? Well, we'll take the. We'll... Yes, Vanessa Lowry, go ahead, please. Hold on just a second. Uh, hold, on, hold on just a sec. Just one second. We're going to take the Zoom question, and then um, if there's any time left, I'll let the lady who's asking for the floor, but let's do Zoom first since we've had questions from the floor. Okay, Vanessa, go ahead. Um, I'll make this very quick. Uh, first, welcome to the U.S. Uh, secondly, Earlier, you briefly referenced uh, the Ukraine, but what role did um, the World Blind Union play in moving blind and visually impaired people out of the Ukraine and into other countries such as Poland um, and others that I can't think of off the top of my head so that they could get their needs met, continue with, with education for children, um, et cetera, et cetera? Thank you. In April this year, we um, started the um, you, For You Ukraine Fund, and people contributed very generously. So people who um, left the Ukraine with blindness into Poland and other countries, we, we could support. Also, um, we, we're not just there to support people leaving the Ukraine, because we realize many people want to, it's their country, they want to live there. So um, we, we are um, having funds about how can you stay in the Ukraine and um, have the services you want. So I want to thank all of you. I, I don't know whether many of you remember the um, We For You, the, the Ukrainian conference, the, 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 the concert. Um, it was just a, totally amazing. I remember sitting there in my house and going, oh my word, these people are so talented. 
And many of you contributed as artists um, to raise funds. Um, so we did a lot. And we can still do a lot. It, it's not finished yet. Because we want to do two things. We want to help settle people out of the Ukraine if they want to. But we also want to help people in the Ukraine. Because um, if people want to stay in, in Ukraine, they, they should have a right to. So um, that is our message, both of them. And the lady, could you identify yourself, please? Me? Yes. Uh, I'm Diane from Michigan. Okay, hold on, Diane. And this will be our last question. So go ahead, Diane. Okay, thank you. Um, my question is, do you have maybe um, a brief explanation of what the World Blind Union does? <laughs> Might be a tough question. I don't know, but... Okay, thank you. Around the world, there are 253 million blind people. We have to unite us. And we have to think, what do we all want? Because we've got to look past politics. We've got to look past economics. We've got to think, what do the 253 million blind people across the world want? And that is what the World Blind Union is here for. Is it education? Is it employment? And that is what we're there for. Because let's face it, if you have employment and education, you can change your life and your aspirations. If you do not have education, that is very sad. So I want to say... The World Blind Union want to say for the two, five, three million people across the world, never mind your um, political ideology, we need to stand together to improve our lives for education and employment. Well, Martine, thank you so much for coming to share with us this morning. And if you have more questions or you want to learn more, come to Schoenberg E at 4 p.m. this afternoon, and you'll get to hear more from Martine. So let's give her a big thank you. Okay. Our next speaker is no stranger to any of us. We know him well. He was our ACB executive director for seven years and now is the new executive director for the American Foundation for the Blind. From Arlington, Virginia, please help me welcome our friend and somebody that we're gonna really miss, Mr. Eric Bridges. Good morning, ACB. This is kind of cool and weird. Um, <laughs> it, it's been wonderful to be here. And uh, Friday night, it was, it was awesome to be able to join the scholarship award winners for their dinner. 
uh, with Denise and her role as co-chair of the scholarship committee and uh, some woman named Rebecca Bridges. Um, the, something that I'm not certain all of you are, are completely aware of is that about five years ago, Kirk Adams, uh, my predecessor at AFB, reached out to ACB to inquire uh, about us being able to, that being ACB at the time, uh, administer several of their scholarships for college-age students. And we said yes. And so literally for the last, I want to say, four years now, ACB has been uh, administering them and combining them where possible. There are eight AFB scholarships that contribute uh, significantly uh, to the to the funding and increased funding of the ACB scholarships. So pretty cool to be able to to join in a different in a slightly different uh, perspective the scholarship winners. Well, I am I am thrilled to be here. Uh, I want to thank Deb Cook Lewis and Dan Spoon and Janet Dickelman for for inviting me to come. Uh, we had a great breakfast this morning. The AFB breakfast is back at ACB, which I'm very proud of. Over 100 people were in the room. So you, you folks must be interested in something. There's, there's a lot of, of work being done at AFB. There's 100 years of work that's been done and, and is being done at AFB. We are 102 years old. Literally, uh, Moses Charles Miguel established the American Foundation for the Blind just two years after the first <laughs> world pandemic. And, you know, then there were transportation challenges, there were education challenges, literacy, uh, employment challenges that, that our community faced. And he wanted in standing up AFB to begin to address those issues. Robert Irwin, the first executive director of AFB, encountered many of these challenges. And then this, this woman walked through the door in 1924. I just rhymed. Didn't mean to do that. Anyway, kind of cool. Her name was Helen Keller. She worked with AFB for 40 years on all the issues I just stated and more, and became an icon for AFB, the blindness field, the disability field, and I would argue the civil rights, the beginning of the civil rights movement. Why am I saying this now to you all? Some of you know this all very well. It's because AFB has not really been very visible the last couple of years. That stops today. It has been a time of transition at AFB, and uh, I've been on the job, it'll be three months, <laughs> on July 12th. So, um, you know, I am not here to make great proclamations at the moment. What I'm here to do is provide you a little bit of an update on the work that we're doing uh, and look ahead. Uh, but the, the key to 
AFB's success is engaging with you all, with, with ACB, with NFB, with Vision Serve Alliance, National Industries for the Blind, and others. We are here to be a resource. We are here to assist. We're here to identify ideas and hopefully put them into action. We're here to convene the community. And uh, that's something that, that I'm committing to you all now, is that moving forward, there will be more convening. There will be more dialogue. Um, it's something that I certainly valued in my career at ACB and NIB in, in, in working with AFB. And it, and it needs to continue for, for the blind field to be strong and, and for us to be able to accomplish more together. Collaboration is key. Open and honest discussion is key. So what's going on at AFB? Well, we've got programs. We've got PPRI. What is PPRI? They say another acronym. Holy Lord, more letters. Public Policy Research Institute, PPRI. That is likely what most of you are, are most familiar with. Our, our work in public policy, uh, obviously much of that has intersected with ACB down through the years. Much of it is technology and has been, is, and will be technology related. In April, we released the Barriers to Digital Inclusion study that really sought to highlight the existing barriers that our community faces when interacting with websites and apps. Obviously, a lot of work, a lot of progress has been made in this area over the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years, but there's still these weird, nagging things that happen that, that impact our productivity, impact our ability to enjoy or entertainment or access information. So a couple of the highlights here, uh, just individuals still challenged in accessing apps and websites dealing with travel sites, airlines, uh, the whole sector of healthcare and the, the challenges in accessing your, your own patient data through portals, and or uh, the apps that allow you access to that data. So obviously not, not shocking, right? We, we all have felt this, but the key to what AFB is and should be about, I believe, in, in our field is taking these problems that are stated by the consumer groups and going and surveying you all to see just how big a problem it is. The research arm that AFB has is unique to our field. And in, in some ways, it's even unique to certain aspects of the disability field. And so being able to, to take your input and, and uh, do, the, do the data crunching and be able to spit out a study that now is in the hands of policymakers on Capitol Hill, at the Department of Justice, and other federal agencies it is, is very important. It helps to, to underpin 
the advocacy work that ACB does. That's what we want to be here to do. Obviously, we're not a consumer group, right? So the barriers to digital inclusion, we also did a workplace uh, technology study that highlighted some of the challenges that we have uh, all these years after the signing of the ADA in, uh, you know, going through recruitment, onboarding, uh, and as a result of that, we're, we're going to be introducing, actually we did about six weeks ago, an HR toolkit, which is on AFB.org, that is really for uh, hiring managers to understand best practices in onboarding, recruiting uh, individuals who are blind or who have low vision. Really important um, to get this in the hands of, of those folks that are decision makers and have the ability to make your employment uh, experience successful. We also have the Journal on Visual Impairment and Blindness, JVIB. Did you know that it predates AFB? It's 115 years old. The leading journal on, on blindness and low vision. And uh, it's part of, of public policy and research. Uh, loads and loads of, of papers, uh, some of which are, are free without uh, subscription. So would encourage you all to, to take a look at that as well. AFB Talent Lab. What is AFB Talent Lab? This is new. This is a year old. Again, the technology umbrella. So we know that companies struggle at times to hire individuals who are blind or visually impaired. They have become more oriented at times to ensuring that the products and services are more accessible to us. But what if AFB put together a curriculum and began to expose individuals who are blind or visually impaired to digital accessibility? and what it means at, at the ground level, learning it from other interns, having apprentices and interns. That's really what this is about. Having blind folks learn the principles of digital accessibility over a year-long period and give them the tools where when they graduate, which 16 of them are preparing to graduate, will equip them to go out into the workforce and have qualifications that could lead to an accessibility program manager job at a tech company. Pretty cool. That's exactly what we're doing. These, these sorts of jobs pay in the range of seventy dollars to $100,000 a year. So these are good jobs. And moving forward, you know, we will be looking to... Uh, reevaluate Talent Lab and likely even uh, cut down the, the turn rate from a year to, you know, four to six months because companies want and need these sorts of skills 
And we, as an organization for the blind, want to be able to have a pipeline of qualified blind or low vision folks ready to go when Amazon or Google or Microsoft comes calling. The Blind Leaders Development Program, a really neat program that has been around for a couple of years. We just graduated our third cohort at the beginning of May. This is a, a kind of a unique program. It, it pairs mentors and mentees who are currently in the workforce and have been in the workforce, the mentees, for a few years. So this isn't uh, fresh out of college or some of the other uh, mentorship programs that, that you see, and I know ACB has, has one that sounds awesome. This is focusing on folks that are more mid-career and have bumped up against a glass ceiling. And there's a curriculum that provides monthly leadership meetings to provide these mentees with the tools that will, you know, it's our hope and, frankly, expectation that will allow them to break through that glass ceiling to get to the next level of responsibility in their career and or figure out, is this the career that I really want at this stage of my life? Because seasons change, right? This program has graduated 101 mentors and mentees in just the last couple of years. So, in the final, the final thing I'd, I'd like to share is a documentary. We're going to be premiering a, a documentary called Possibilities. It's going to take place later this fall, and we're going to have some screenings around the country. It really seeks to highlight the important work of Helen Keller, why what she did still matters <clears throat> pardon me, so much today, and then profiles several individuals uh, from around the country in different different parts of their, their work life, um, and really seeks to, to shine the light on where we've been, where we are, and where we want to go. It's about a 90-minute audio described. In fact, that's the only version you're going to get. Yeah, open audio description, right? So... Um, and we're going to be we're going to be premiering it, and later on I'll be able to we'll be able to figure out how to share that with you all. Um, Tony Stevens, who's our director of communications, you might remember him. Like, meet the old boss, same as the new boss, right, Tony? Um, he's he's been working very diligently on this project, and we're excited to be able to to share it with the world here in the coming months. Um, I am, again, really happy to be here. Uh, it's been fun being able to catch up with folks over the last, <clears throat> I guess we got here on the 30th, so last four or five days. Um, 
I, I have shared all this with you because I fear that not much of that uh, information, uh, programmatic information, has been very visible the last couple of years. And as I said earlier, that stops today. Um, we have a, a, we're building a communications team that is going to be just awesome. We're going to do a much better job of reengaging with, with the community. Later this summer and into the fall, we're going to do a strategic plan for the organization. The, the last one was done six years ago, so it's, it's uh, needed to, to be redone. And um, all the work that I just talked about I think is great. We may elect to, to focus on one or two of those things more than others. We may add something. Uh, but w my commitment to you all is that as we do this, we will be seeking stakeholder feedback. So uh, the leadership of this organization will be reached out to as we move through the plan, as will NFB and VisionServe and others. I want to make sure that as we go about this, we're thoughtful and we're listening to uh, the needs of the community. Um, I, I want for us to be that go-to place that we, that we have been historically once more. So thank you so much for having me, and have a great rest of your convention. Oh, questions? All right, cool. I'm told there's time for questions. This is dangerous. I wore everybody out. That's fine. We do have two in Zoom. Ah. Actually, a little bit more than that, but. Let's take our first Zoom then. Zoom? Yes, right. we have Anisia Correa. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Eric, you, uh, thank you so much. First of all, congratulations on, on, on your appointment. My My question is, we know some of us that have worked in the field of vision rehab for a while know there are lots of issues, and some of them came through during the ACB uh, convention this year uh, around some of the resolutions. I'm wondering what your feelings are at AFB becoming re, uh, recapturing their role as a think tank. Uh, bringing people together, bringing organizations together to try to deal with some of these issues that are so critical. I do believe we are at crossroads, and I could see AFP, <clears throat> again, having a, a, a great uh, opportunity to, to, uh, to help solve those issues. Thank you. Thank you, Anisio. Yeah, I, uh, so the convening component of what, what I spoke about, I believe, is is very important for AFB to get back to, irrespective of a, a strategic plan. Uh, I, I think AFB has been a place where the big issues of the day have been able to be discussed. Hey, audio now unmuted. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, have people uh, arm wrestle, disagree, but not be disagreeable. And 
uh, wind up with a with a better product. I, you know, my what was it like my sixth day? I literally started, and then the AFB leadership conference happened. Um, I, I did a lunch with leaders in the field during that conference, and there were about 22 of them um, around a, uh, in, in a room, and uh, asked them what you know their relationship was to AFB and what they wanted us to do and in, in the future. And there were a couple of different ways of saying this, but almost all of them wanted us as an organization to, to once again convene the field on the big issues. And so I'm, I'm hearing that loud and clear. Um, you know, you, you pick an issue. <laughs> uh, there are plenty. Um, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the um, I think the key for us is to figure out what, what that looks like, what that outreach looks like. We're just kind of getting our sea legs and sort of reintroducing, not reintroducing, but rejoining um, engagement, you know, with, with the consumer groups on a, broader, on a broader scale. But I hear you. Are you ready for another in Zoom? We have four. The floor. Okay. That would be me. Um, uh, this is Peter Heidi from Wisconsin. I, I know that you've alluded to it uh, several times, but that can you say more about um, what it is to work for an organization that's for the blind rather than being with a an organization of the blind and how that changes in, from consumer to advocacy? Yeah. So we don't. Um, I. I don't have a membership to worry about. I have other things to worry about. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm still some days I kind of have to wrap my mind around that, Peter. Right? Um, because AFB does work very closely with ACB on areas in public policy. Um, we we I think ought to be the organization that helps uh, the consumer groups with research and or defining problems um, or bringing, bringing the problems to surface in a, in a way that is um, helpful to whatever audience the consumer groups are. Are, are you know needing needing support? Um, in addition, I, I feel like AFB has been and and still has the capacity to be an incubator for all kinds of really cool ideas that that the field comes up with and that we can go and get funding to to work on. So, um, oven fours is a big thing. Um, I don't, you know, AFB is not out to dictate, um, but we are out to do some cool, innovative things, to try them, to see if they succeed or not. But a lot of it is input from you all that we'll be relying upon. 
in order oh. to do that. Hello, uh, this is Neryl from Cleveland. I have a question. So okay, Neryl, hold on. Hold on. Let's take another uh, one from Zoom. In Zoom, we have Danielle Stevens. You may unmute. Thank you so much. So my question to you is um, I'm excited about the AFB Talent Lab. How does someone like me who's really passionate about technology um, apply to be a, a, a part of the next cohort? Sure. Part of you. So you're interested in Talent Lab. Um, we are getting ready to, to graduate 16 folks, and then we are going to go under uh, about a three-month review of the program, and then uh, probably the beginning of next year, as part of the strategic plan, we will begin to seek um, applicants again. And so what I, would, what I would say to you is watch for... I don't know, there's this thing called dots and dashes. Um, and or come to our website, afb.org, uh, check in. There's a lot of great stuff up there. Check in uh, occasionally there to, to see when we, when we uh, relaunch it and are looking for the new set of applicants. Thank you. Okay, Neural, go ahead with your question. All right, so here's my question. As you mentioned before that you look, you know, you've been working at ADA and stuff like that. Well, you know, ADA was basically created in the 90s. I feel like the ADA laws need to be updated. How are you going to go ahead and update that, such as paratransit, you know, and their rules and regulations? So I feel like, as you mentioned, arm wrestle, you might have to arm wrestle a lot more people. Sure. And a lot of that is working with ACB and NFB. Frankly, um, you know, we've uh, been working with with ACB and NFB and the National Disability Rights Network on, you know, web access and software access type stuff that, you know, the ADA didn't envision 30 plus years ago. Uh, you know, working on on issues like that. Um, AFB traditionally has not focused a lot on issues pertaining to transportation, but obviously we've been very supportive of the work that the consumer organizations have been uh, leading for the last two, three decades. Does that make sense? Chanel, do we have any more hands raised in Zoom? We do. Next up is Todd Freitas, and then uh, two more after that. Todd? Yeah, can you hear me all right? Yes. yes. All right. Um, first of all, I um, I wanted to make a quick comment, and then I'll let and then I'll let everybody else get back to the thing. Um, I really enjoyed your presentation. I didn't understand all of it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, also, the AFB should also take credit for the Talking Book Program, which I'm very fond of. Thank you. It was very cool. Yes, it's a, it's a great part of our history. Okay. Do we have another question from the floor? Liz Botner. Okay, go ahead, Liz. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Eric. Also, congratulations to you, Eric. Uh, Thank you. To you, but also to every single one of us, because that's, in my mind, what the role is deserves in terms of words. Uh, my question is related to digital accessibility and the initiative that NEFB has with that, with Talent Lab and anything else, uh, which is a definite need 
but there's also a need for accessible accessibility certifications in and of themselves. Uh, trusted tester, anyone, as an example, mm -hmm. uh, who, which are at this time really not able to be completed independently by those of us who may seek them as people who are blind or who have low vision. And I'm wondering if there is any work that ACB has done, is currently doing, would like to be doing in the future, and I'll also personally offer my assistance in helping make that a thing, because it is not a thing and it needs to be. Thank you. Gotcha. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that AFB has looked at that specific aspect with regard to, to accessibility, but I, I hear you, um, and I, you're not the first one to, oh, okay. to reach out and, and share that frustration. And um, by the way, my email, this could be dangerous also, um, my email is one letter different. So if anybody wants to send me an email, you have to figure out what letter is different. <laughs> I have a question. Yes. Hold on. Uh, hold Rick? on, Ray. Hold on, Ray. Okay, sure. Let's take the next question from Zoom, please. Debbie Grubb, please. <clears throat> hey, Debbie. Well, hello, and congratulations. Um, I want to go back to the question that was asked about the differences between working for a consumer organization and a policy uh, consumer assistance organization. And I want to, I guess it's two parts. What, ha what global change are you having to make in the way you think and work? And how do you believe your strong many years of working in a consumer organization will benefit us as you lead the helm of AFB? Sure. Wow, those are good questions. Um, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm, I'm still feeling my way through some of this, Debbie, to be frank with you. Um, you know... I'll answer your second question first. ACB absolutely prepared me to do this job. Um, a lot of it is understanding blind people, uh, the community, the challenges that we face. And you get a metric ton of that every week at ACB as a staff member. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, um, you get you get the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, the other, yeah. um, and and so uh, as you know, I look at my role globally, um, and it's it's changed. You know, I need in my role to figure out how we at AFB spend the next three to five of, of our next really good years working on stuff that the entire community can care about. Okay. And not just an adopted resolution yeah. that's telling me to do something as a staff member. Okay. Hi, my name is Debbie. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold oh, on. I'm sorry. <clears throat> okay. Hi. Oh, no, hold on, Debbie, please. No. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, We'll let Ray ask the last question, and this will be the last question because oh, okay. Eric has to go catch a plane. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Am I, um, okay. Uh, this is probably foolish, but 
I wonder, um, there used to be many products that came out, you know, from the American Foundation of the Blind. You were also kind of a consumer organization that people can buy things, you know, from. And also, um, I went to a camp when I used to live in California that I believe was also sponsored by the American Foundation of the Blind. Are you still continuing? I know you're doing a lot of, and this is vitally important, the various policies and the thinking uh, that you have done in the communities. Are you still doing other things in consumer and other things uh, active, proactive in the community, for, like for children? Sure. So I, I would say over the last decade or so, uh, the organization has moved away from a lot of the direct service type uh, programs and or you know stuff like the talking book program that, that AFB started and and led for for decades um, and you know even even some of the the programs that grew up in the, you know 2005 to 2011 12 time frame uh, career connect vision aware um, they they now reside with the American printing house for the blind which is a great partner of ours um, we're focused more on programmatic type uh, areas and less so on some of these other direct service. I, it was a strategic decision that was made. Um, a lot of that stuff costs an incredible amount of money. And uh, fundraising for that is... Um, is challenging, and so what what you what you see today with AFB, with Talent Lab, the Wine Leaders Development Program, um, in particular, is you know taking an idea and uh, you know putting it into action to have a positive impact on on the blind community. Uh, PPRI, that's been around a long time. That will you know that will that will live on. It may live on in, in different forms moving forward, but public policy and research is, uh, is kind of the, the spine of the organization. And uh, it's something that, that the community uh, needs. It's been stated, and it's something that we're intending to continue. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eric, for taking the time to come and talk sure. to us about AFB. Yeah, thank you. Anybody want a door prize? Here. Uh, we have them, Denise. You have them. All right. Let's, how many do you have today? Well, I've got a total of eight. So I'm going to do four. I'm going to do two before we go to break. You want me? To, how do you want me to do it? Two before and two after the break, and then yep. four, four before we At leave. At the end. Yes. Okay. We'll do it that way. <clears throat> good morning, ACB. Ray Campbell here. Are you having a good time? Well, we, again, we are so, so glad you could, many of you could make it to Schaumburg. And those of you here virtually, we miss you. And we hope you'll be with us next year in Jacksonville. All right. Um, one real quick. Um, if you are here in person and you win a door prize, you go to the information desk and pick that up. Two of these that I'll be giving away are from ICB. They are bottle sleeves. And in that sleeve is a certificate for a T-shirt. 
So uh, go to the ICB booth number six and let, the, let Maggie know what size you need. If you're virtual, you just call the ICB office next week and let Maggie know what size you need. And uh, we'll get that taken care of for you. All right, so our first door prize this morning is the water bottle sleeve and shirt donated by the Illinois Council of the Blind. And I know she's here in person. It gives me great pleasure to award this to Carla Hayes from Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. Okay, so for the next one, we have, um, I'm not sure if this one's here in person or not. The prize is $25 from the North Dakota Association of the Blind, and that goes to Charles Cronin. All right. Does, not sure where he's from. Doesn't say here. So, You know the worst thing about the way we do door prizes now? We used to require that you be in the room or working at the convention, so now we all don't get to say, aww. So, with that, but everybody gets a chance to win, so that's a good thing. All right. We got two more here. Uh, first, we have a 20. Listen up so you can hear your name for fortune and fame. $25 Burger King gift card donated by Leslie Tom. And that goes to Robert Spangler. Robert, okay, he's uh, right over here in the Tennessee section, I believe. When are we going to lunch, Robert? <laughs> yeah, Robert's buying lunch. <laughs> All right. And another ICB water bottle sleeve and a T-shirt. And that goes to Jeff Mahalik from Minnesota. All right. That's all for now. We'll be back at the end of session. Thank you, folks. Thank you. We'll have some more at the end of the morning. Every year, we have the privilege of hearing from NLS um, about what's going on there and getting our updates. And so this morning, to talk to us, is Jason Yasner, who is the Deputy Director for the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. If you don't know, they've changed their name. He's going to tell us what's going on there. So, Jason, welcome. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, ACB. I am so pleasure, um, honored to be here. My name is Jason Yasner. I'm the Deputy Director of NLS, the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, uh, I, which is part of the Library of Congress. I've worked at the Library of Congress for almost 30 years, and I've been in this position for the past five years. In fact, my five-year anniversary with NLS is next week. So I am really excited to be able to celebrate here um, at ACB. When I first arrived on Sunday, I ran into your Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Clark Rockfall, Ratchfall. I don't know how to pronounce his name, I just know him as Clark. He's a super nice guy. And he said something really important to me. He goes, thank you, Jason, for making this a priority. And I said, of course, this is a priority. ACB is a priority. You are my priority. I need to know 
what you all think. I need to know how I can make the NLS service better and meet your needs and have the reading material that you all want and you all need. And so this is the perfect opportunity for me to meet with NLS patrons and hopefully spread the word and awareness that for those of you who are not NLS patrons or you know people who are potential patrons, that they please come over, sign up, and become NLS patrons. ACB has got me working hard today. Um, I am doing four different presentations today on July 4th. So happy Independence Day to Jason. Um, I am more than happy um, to do it. Um, just to let you all know, uh, this afternoon at 1 o'clock in Schaumburg C, I will be talking about NLS and the Braille e-reader device. Extremely popular device that we finally got out to you guys. So I will be talking about its history, its future, and I want to hear from all of you. What do you think of the device? How is it working? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, at 2.30 in Schaumburg E, I'll be meeting with the Library Users of America. Um, I'll be taking their questions, also talking about what's happening in NLS and what we're looking for uh, in the future. And then at 4 o'clock today in Schaumburg C, I'll be talking about BARD Mobile, our Braille and audio reading download mobile app. We are putting a lot of resources and effort into making BARD better, stronger, faster. That is one of my favorite phrases. I grew up in the 70s. I watched the $6 million man. Better, stronger, faster. That's what I want NLS to be. And the only way I can do that is to hear from all of you. So you are my customers and you are my constituents. So with that, I'm going to go through this little PowerPoint presentation. I'm just going to read from it just to give you some highlights. So what we like to say now is we are in an era of enhancement, enrichment, and modernization. We want everything to be better, stronger, faster. We've been very, very lucky. The Library of Congress supports us. Congress supports us. We have wonderful relationships with ACB and AFB and NFB and many others. And this is the way this needs to work. We are all a family, and we all want the same thing. We all want equity. We want accessibility, we want equal rights, and in the case of NLS, we want all may read. So, ah, a little applause, thank you. So just a little history, NLS is 92 years old, which is crazy because I'm only 25. <laughs> I'm actually not. For those of you, uh, just to describe, I'm uh, a white man, I'm six foot one and a half, um, I have a shaved head, and I'm extremely good-looking. So one of those things may be untrue. It's up to you to decide. But, but seriously, the Library of Congress started with a reading room for the blind, which was physically located in the Jefferson Building in Washington, D.C. So you had to physically come to that reading room to read the Library of Congress's collection. Obviously, that wasn't going to work for Americans. And so Congress was smart and passed a law in 1931 that created the National Library Service for the Blind. And over the many, many years, it has expanded. And it's expanded to include additional groups of people. Uh, it's expanded to include additional services and formats, et cetera, et cetera. So here we are, 92 years later. I think we've made amazing strides, but there's so much yet to come. 
So for those of you who don't know, NLS is a free library service for people with temporary or permanent low vision, blindness, or a physical disability or other print disability that prevents reading or using regular print materials. Established by Congress in 1931, and subsequent legislation expanded the program to serve children, people with physical disabilities, provide music materials, and provide playback equipment in all formats. So basically, NLS offers books and magazines in audio and braille that can be instantly downloaded and played on a personal smart device or mailed to readers free of charge. So if you're not familiar, the way our service works is we have cooperating network libraries and entities in all 50 states and U.S. territories. And most likely, if you're an NLS patron, you're interacting with your network library in your local area. Uh, NLS is kind of the central hub. Uh, we maintain the catalog. Uh, we maintain the devices. And, of course, we maintain BARD, which is the reading download um, application. And so, oh, thank you. <laughs> was not expecting applause yet, but I appreciate it. As I said, we, we, we take our business very, very seriously. And once again, we need to hear from all of you. You are our business. And so, residents anywhere in the United States or its territories or U.S. citizens living overseas can receive service. These are people with permanent or temporary disabilities, people with low vision or blindness, people with a physical disability, people with reading disabilities. This is relatively new. Folks with dyslexia and other types of reading disabilities are now eligible, and it's easier to, for them to be certified for NLS service. And of course, preference is always given to veterans. That's something that we also take very seriously. And thank you. Especially on July 4th, what a wonderful time to celebrate our veterans. Um, we have actually initiated a veterans rapid sign-up program where we are, we are training certifiers in the VA so they can easily certify veterans that qualify for the service. And so um, we have uh, almost 600 veterans signed up already, and we're expecting many, many more. So that's another thing. If you know someone who's a veteran that may qualify for service, this may be an even easier way for that person to become an NLS patron. So some of the benefits of NLS, we're free. Now, we don't have... We have no issue with Audible and Bookshare and Learning Ally. They're wonderful services, and we encourage everybody to use whatever resource they want or need for their reading material. All we ask is consider NLS one of the res these resources. It's free. There are a lot of things on those other uh, platforms uh, that NLS has and they don't. And so I always ask you, maybe think of NLS as the first library the library of first, first concern or uh, first thought. And then maybe check Audible and Learning Ally and Bookshare. But remember, we're free. The cooperating libraries around uh, the country and the territories, they, of course, provide additional services and additional cataloging and reading material about their areas. The libraries provide technical support, reader advisory recommendations, and um, our collection, of course, includes bestsellers to classics, books about disability and by disabled authors, and titles that aren't readily available elsewhere in audio and braille formats. Additional benefits. Our audiobooks have enhanced navigation and additional content. So we like to distinguish between an audiobook and a talking book. An audiobook may be something you get directly from a publisher, but a talking book that's done at, at NLS 
has additional navigation, has additional features, additional content. I believe it's a better product. And so we, of course, want to keep going down that road to get as many commercial audiobooks as possible and turn them into NLS talking books. There's no waiting list for titles, especially if you're on BARD. Um, you can download the title immediately as soon as it's available. We provide long-term loan of playback equipment. Many of you are probably familiar with the digital talking book player. Maybe some of you have our NLS Braille e-reader. Um, we're working on, um, as I said, making uh, BARD even better, and we're working on a smart speaker app for the Alexa Amazon platform. That's going to be really amazing. And so we've, we're really looking at technology to provide this kind of enhanced suite of services. So we're really excited about what's going on. Um, just quickly, other NLS resources. We also partnered with the Bureau of Engraving and Printing as part of the U.S. Treasury to provide the currency reader. And this is a little device that they call the iBill. So if you're not familiar with it, please um, uh, contact me, contact NLS, and ask for your iBill currency reader. Um, this is a um, quote-unquote stopgap until the U.S. Treasury uh, makes paper currency accessible. And we all know that that's been a long slog. And um, <laughs> I hope it happens sooner than later. In the meantime, this currency reader is available to all of you for free. We have accessible music. That's one thing that's very unique to NLS. We have the largest Braille music collection in the world. And that is available to all of you as NLS patrons. We provide reference materials, and we provide materials for educators as well. So, as I mentioned earlier, we are looking at basically getting as many patrons as possible. You know, we, we need to reach more people. We know that there are millions of potential patrons out there. So how do we reach them? Well, one way, of course, as I said, better, stronger, faster, making our products and our services better. But our most important product is our catalog. We need to make sure that the best reading material, the most popular, well, maybe not the most popular, but reading material that is important to all of you is available. So right now we have over 317,000 items in the NLS collection. And that meant 22.35 million items were circulated in FY22. So think about that. Relatively small collection, 317,000 items, but 22.35 million items circulated. I joke with some of the um, senior leadership at the Library of Congress. Library of Congress may have the largest collection in the world, but not so much high in circulation, I mean, for various reasons. But NLS is the opposite. Relatively small collection, huge circulation, and that means a lot to us. I think the circulation number is more important than the actual number of items, because it really shows that people are reading what we have. We have over 166,000 books and magazines issues, uh, magazine issues available on BARD right now, and over 4.43 million items were downloaded in FY22. We, of course, want BARD to be the easiest platform for all of you to use if you are able to use a smartphone, if you're able to use an iPad, if you're able to use a website. You have instant access to our catalog, on demand, read when you want, what you want. 
We are looking at increasing collections production. We, of course, want more and more and more. And so with a recent reorganization at NLS, we have formed a specific collections division, and we are galloping towards 10,000 items, uh, new titles per year, and maybe soon in the future 15 to 20,000. So we are really ramping up content production. And all of that most of it, I should say, comes from all of you. We need your suggestions. We hear from the network libraries. We check, of course, all the bestseller lists, the New York Times, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't account for everything. We need to hear from all of you. So please contact your network library. Please contact us if there are titles, magazines, books, series, et cetera, that aren't currently in our collection, because we want to hear from you. So some of the areas that we're expanding, we're expanding our children's and youth literature. We're expanding informational reading. So NLS is not just recreational reading. We want informational reading as well. Things like cookbooks, things like uh, how to prep for certain uh, tests and certifications, that type of stuff for professional development. Um, we're expanding um, uh, material for veterans, uh, Native American and Native late, uh, nations. Uh, we're looking at tactile graphics. Oh, Native American, thank you. Um, we're looking at tactile graphics and things like that to expand the experience. I mean, you can imagine uh, uh, getting Game of Thrones and hearing about like all these different lands in this, this fantasy world, but not being able to really experience the map. If we give you that map in a tactile version, hopefully that expands your experience with the story. And of course, international languages, and that is huge thanks to the Marrakesh Treaty. So, I assume most of you are familiar with the Marrakesh Treaty. This has been going on for many years. Yes, thank you. The United States signed on a couple years ago, and it was gold for NLS and gold for all of you. All of a sudden, we were able to share our collection with the rest of the world, uh, other libraries that were participating in the treaty, and they were able to share their collections with all of you. And so this has been a boon. We have, since Marrakesh um, came on board, we have 5,336 new works on Bard, which include audiobooks, Braille books, and Braille music scores. 101,000 patron downloads. 191,000 NLS titles have been shared with the World Intellectual Property Organization that are available to the rest of the world. We began a publication called the International Language Quarterly that talks about all the new titles that are in. We have imported content in 26 different languages, and we had a huge feature in the Washington Post back in February 2022. So Marrakesh is a big deal. It's putting NLS on the map, the world map. It's putting all of you on the world map, and it's giving you access to all of these other titles that are out there. And a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the Marrakesh titles are, of course, in the English language. Uh, titles that are coming from the UK, from Canada, from New Zealand, that's all content for you to read in the English language. So, very excited about Marrakesh. I mentioned that about the books. Oh, interesting about the Ukraine. So obviously all of us are very concerned about what's going on in Ukraine. It turns out that in the NLS collection, there were no books in the Ukrainian language until Marrakesh. And we didn't necessarily know it. The Ukraine war breaks out and we did a search and we found that there were 116 titles in the Ukrainian language for those Americans and those NLS patrons who wanted to read in their native language. And so we kind of featured those and um, got some kudos for that. I'm quite 
proud of that, considering the situation going on there. Another thing we launched recently is a Spanish website. We realize that Spanish is probably the second most spoken language in the United States. We have a Spanish website to help um, our um, Spanish-speaking patrons uh, navigate the collection and our products and services. We're, of course, looking for a new discoverability. There's no point in having millions of items in our catalog if you can't find it. Discoverability is the new accessibility in our mind. So we are looking, working on much better um, search uh, engines, much better cataloging, so that things are easier to find for all of you. We have a patron engagement section that we launched that is reaching out to all of you directly with many programs, such as the Many Faces of Bard and Patron Corner. Uh, we have a request form so that the, the network libraries and you as patrons can request specific uh, items. We have Braille on demand. We're really happy about this. So as you know, Braille can be expensive to produce. It can be very, very bulky. We now have a service where all NLS patrons can get five Braille on demand titles per month sent to them on indefinite loan. And so that can be part of your collection. If you want hard copy Braille, you're not as comfortable with um, digital Braille, we have the Braille on demand program. We talked about tactile graphics. We talked about Marrakesh. Thank you. We launched our first summer reading program. In fact, it's, it's in motion right now. And that's something we're really proud of because we know that network libraries have been doing summer reading programs for years. NLS decided to take the plunge and work with them. Very, very popular. And of course, we're trying to offer more trainings, pop-up trainings, professional development, and training for our network libraries so they can provide you the best service possible. As far as modernization, I mentioned BARD. BARD is um, gold to us because we want to make BARD as easy as possible for all of you to use so you can get the reading material you want when you want it. Our upgraded suite of services, as I said, you're probably familiar with the digital talking book player. That's a workhorse. That's been working hard for 12, 15 years now. We are going for what we're calling the DA2, which is the next generation of the digital talking book machine. Right now we're in a, um, a field test. Uh, we have about 440 units out there uh, doing a pilot with network libraries and patrons. This digital talking book player um, will take the cartridges, but it also has a Wi-Fi modem, which you can um, connect to BARD and download your books directly to the device. So what's really cool is, if you're used to cartridges, but you want to kind of play around with BARD, you have the option to do that. So we're really excited about the DA2. I mentioned the Braille e-reader, and as I said, I'll be talking about that in the focus group later. And I also mentioned our smart speaker app. And so we're also doing a field test with that. We were working with Google as well. Google decided to deprecate the service that works with us, so boo on Google. Uh, but Amazon, it turns out that Amazon has most of the market share anyway. So we're working on our Amazon Alexa app. And I think that's going to be really important because I think that especially for folks who really can't hold a book, who really can't manipulate uh, a machine, to be able to use voice, voice control to read um, I think that's going to be a real step forward for us. Um, 
Thank you. We launched a Braille modernization effort. I mentioned Braille on demand. We also have Express Braille, which is a program where if we get an EPUB, we can easily um, transform it into digital Braille. So we're excited about that. And of course, um, expanding the e-reader program to all 50 states by the end of this year. And the last modernization thing I will mention is magazine modernization. So right now, we have kind of a clunky system that we call magazine on cartridge. We are revamping that, and we're building that functionality into our duplication on demand uh, system, which the libraries are using. So you can get multiple books on one cartridge. Now, magazines you've been getting separately. We're now going to build magazine um, capabilities and functions into duplication on demand. So, and then finally deprecate this legacy system that's been very difficult to maintain. So I'm really excited about all of these things. Um, I mentioned easing of access, so now we're providing more service to patrons with reading disabilities. Um, we've seen a boon, especially in Texas. Texas passed a law a couple years ago uh, that all students with a reading disability needed to be um, 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 shown or uh, uh, moved, uh, that's, I'm losing my thoughts here, um, be made aware of the Texas Talking Book Program. And so it was, it was a mandate. And so all of a sudden we started seeing thousands of students signing up for NLS because Texas passed a law. Imagine if the United States passed a law and all of these people automatically would be aware of NLS and sign up for the program. So we're really excited about that. We feel that there are so many potential patrons out there in these different demographics uh, that we want to serve. It's just a matter of, you know, making them aware of our service and what we offer. I'm not sure whether a lot of you uh, know, but um, NLS is not located on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. with the rest of the Library of Congress. We have a building that's in the northwest D.C. neighborhood of Petworth. And it's on Taylor Street. It's called Taylor Street Annex. We moved out there in 1967. And we, were, we moved out on a one-year lease. So here we are 50-something years later, and we're still at this location. So we've been trying to get back to Capitol Hill for many, many years and many decades. Well, the good news is it looks like it's going to happen soon. In the next two years, NLS will be relocated back with the Library of Congress. This is going to be huge for us. We are so excited about that. Closer to Capitol Hill, closer to the, to the Capitol and Congress itself. And NLS will be a place for all of you to visit. We want NLS to be your place in Washington, D.C., to visit and take pride in. And with our current building, which used to be an old car dealership, not the nicest place. You're going to come, now you're, in a couple years, you're going to be coming into the Library of Congress, and the Library of Congress, once again, will be yours. So I'm really excited about relocation. Just to end on a couple stats, and then I can take some questions if you're interested in. As I mentioned, over 166,000 books and magazines on Bard, over 317 items in the NLS total collection. Uh, we have almost 600 veterans signed up through our Veterans Rapid Sign-Up Program. We have uh, almost 5,500 Marrakesh items in our collection, over 103,000 downloads from Marrakesh. We have shared over 191,000 works uh, with the rest of the world, and our reading disabled patrons are almost at 23,000. So I am so excited to be here once again. 
as I said, you are my priority, you are my customer, and I want to hear from you as much as possible. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, the ACB. Please have a wonderful convention. Okay, we're only going to have, I know I'm going to disappoint all of you. <clears throat> we are going to only have time for two questions. Mitch so you, Pomerantz. Okay, I got you, Mitch. We're going and to take, we have? We have, we're going to take one from the floor and one from Zoom. So we've got Mitch from the floor, and who do we have from Zoom? Pierre from Zoom. All right, we'll let Mitch go, and then Pierre. Thank you. And you touched on it a few minutes ago, but... Uh, the more books I order, the more they seem to have begun as commercial audio books. I think that effort began under your predecessor, and, and I think it's fantastic, and I want to know whether that is going to be the trend, uh, utilizing commercial audio books as much as possible, uh, still having some of the talking book recording studios, but really focusing on the commercial audio book market to uh, turn into, auto, into uh, talking books. Thank you. Thank you, Pierre. Uh, you're absolutely right. Working with the commercial publishers is a way for us to increase quantity quickly as we get many commercial um, audiobook titles and we convert them into NLS talking books. So that's great for you, that's great for me, um, and we increase our catalog and our collection. We are never going to get rid of human-narrated books in our talking book studio. Um, there is no substitute for having human narration. As much as text-to-speech and synthetic voice and everything may be fine for certain things, nobody wants to read a whole book with synthetic speech. I know I don't want to, and I'm pretty sure you don't want to either. So we will never drop human narration as long as I walk this planet. <laughs> um, so, um, but we will always have a combination because, you know, obviously that takes more time, it's more expensive, so we will increase our quantity with commercial titles, but we will also increase our, our quality with human narration. That was a good question. Thanks, Mitch. Okay, Pierre, your question, please. Yes, my question is, um, uh, why is it so hard, uh, like, y'all will produce the first book in a series, I've got one that uh, uh, the first book came out three years ago, and the second book has been out for two years, and y'all have never done, did the second book. My librarian has requested it. I've called NLS and filled out forms, and they still haven't done the second book. Well, you know, when I walk through the halls at these conventions, this is exactly what people stop me and tell me. That uh, I started reading, it's a six-book series, and I got to five, and the sixth book isn't on NLS, and, you know, what are you going to do about it, Mr. Yasner? Well, you're absolutely right. I find that very frustrating. Um, I don't know the specific title you're talking about. Feel free to reach out to me later. Uh, I will look into it. Obviously, um, we only have so many resources, and we do have to make some priorities. Um, we have... Um, we have a lot of content requests, especially when we really, really open it up to the request form. So I wish we could give every book out there that everyone wants. It's just going to take some time. But if you let me know, maybe I can put my finger on the scale and get that, um, get that volume for you. I have that same frustration, Pierre. <laughs> Absolutely. I hear you. Thank you, Jason, so much for coming and sharing with us. 
And you're going to have Thank you, three more opportunities to talk to Jason. So put him on your calendar for this afternoon. And now, because I forgot to do this when we came back from break, um, Deb has some announcements. I, there we go. Thank you. Uh, just a few quick announcements that I know you won't hear because after, uh, after our next speaker because you'll be trying to take off. And so I want to be first. So first of all, I am channeling your mother. Your mother says you have left stuff all over the building. This has all been gathered into the lost and found. They include a few important things. There is a ring with dog paws that it has inscribed, you left your paw print on my heart. And I don't know where you left your dog ring. All right, there's also a black framed sunglasses and uh, the sun is shining today, so you might need that. The gold frame prescription sunglasses in their case. We have a black pouch. We have a stylus and index cards and the big one of the day, aftershock headphones. So, you know, if you left all this stuff, you need to go pick it up over at the Lost and Found, please. And the Lost and Found is at the information desk, and that's in the coat room. And that is where? I've lost it again. By the stairs, Dan says, that goes up to the Nirvana and up there. Um, also, this afternoon at 2.30... The Washington Council of the Blind and the Department, Washington Department of Services for the Blind uh, Youth Program together are meeting in Inspiration, which is just out not too far from here, with youth. And they were hoping that some students or some next-gen folks or some other people younger than I am would come and join them for a get-together with the students and to get acquainted. And that is at 2.30. So if you can find time to do that and you're younger than I am and you would go over there, I would so appreciate it. That would be wonderful for the students. And uh, they're visiting us this week. It's uh, a great program. High school students visiting us here at the convention. So this is a good opportunity. Finally, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, they'll be here at the banquet and everything. Cool stuff. Finally, a reminder, speaking of the banquet, reserve your banquet table at that same information desk by the stairs. And these are tables of eight, and we need all the names of the people. We will not need the names of the dogs. But if you would please bring the names of the people, up to eight people for your banquet table to the information desk so that we can make sure we have the table set correctly and that people get to their right table. Thank you very much. I and have one more announcement. There's one more announcement. Yes. Okay. So my name is Hannah Fairbairn, and I'm the author of a book, When You Can't Believe Your Eyes, Vision Loss and Personal Recovery. And it's available on NLS as well as Bookshare. I brought with me four print copies. If you would like a print copy for your loved one, your best friend, someone who could do with understanding more about vision loss, or perhaps is just beginning to lose vision but can still read print, please uh, leave uh, a message for me at the hotel front desk. I will also 
bring the copies down to the marketplace area tomorrow morning at 8.15. Okay. And um, if anyone would like one, uh, I'll be there. Okay, thank you. And thank we're not going to take any more announcements at this time. Oh. So we do have another presentation, and um, we're going to, Denise is going to introduce that now. All right. Our next presentation is from an organization that I don't even know a lot about. So um, this is going to be educational for me and probably for a lot of you. Um, the Foundation for Fighting, Fighting Blindness has been around for a while. And to come and talk to us about that organization and what they do, I present to you Steve Stroka, who is the Associate Director of Events from Libertyville, Illinois. Steve. Well, hello, everybody. I want to thank the ACB for allowing me to talk a little bit about the history of the Foundation Fighting Blindness uh, from some applause, which I'm really glad to hear. Uh, how many of you, oh, by applause or a raise of hand, are familiar with the Foundation Fighting Blindness, or at least? Ah, that's great to hear. So I am Associate Director of Events. I have been with the Foundation for 18 years now. Uh, I'm not leaving until they kick me out because I absolutely love what I do. I love working for the Foundation. And it's also good to hear, well, not good to hear, but good to know that I think today I'll bring you some information that some of you might not have known about the Foundation. So I appreciate the time you're going to have here today. I'm likely going to sit down here. My knees aren't so great, but uh, thank you for, for allowing me to do this. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the history uh, right here. So hang on a sec. Can you guys hear me okay? I have a pretty big mouth. I generally don't need a uh, microphone, so. All right. Um, we have been, we j just this past year, we celebrated our 50th anniversary as the number one, behind the federal government, the number one uh, funder of retinal degenerative disease research. We have, we fund, thank you. We fund research for such diseases as and here's the list of cone rod dystrophy, rod cone dystrophy, Leber's congenital uh, amaurosis, LCA, which is an important one that I'll talk a little bit about later uh, if you're not familiar with, LCA, Stargardt disease, Usher syndrome, and then ones that you've likely heard of, um, macular degeneration and retinitis pigmentosa are the two biggies. And there's, there's a lot of progress going on with, with, uh, with all of those. The foundation, I'm, I'm proud to say, is a part of most of the research going on in some level of funding for all those eye diseases. Uh, I know some of you out there, and I've talked, I've been here for three days back in the, uh, uh, the, the, the hall uh, with, with our table there, and I've talked to a lot of you out there that are not affected with one of these. I, I'd like to at least bring some information about the foundation and let you know that there is likely research going on with whatever has affected your vision loss. Um, just please go out and seek it if you haven't found it yet. I was really excited to, this entire um, experience I've had at this convention is worthwhile when I hear people that uh, one young adult that I met on uh, Saturday was not aware of the research and the, and I'll, we'll talk later about some uh, uh, pharmaceutical that has affected the vision loss for folks that are affected with Leber's congenital amaurosis, LCA, and she had not heard of that before, and it's something that can, is, is very possibly 
could improve her vision. So these are really exciting things, and for me, that was worthwhile for me to come out here just for that one encounter. So there's a lot of things that I think that would be a benefit for you guys to know, even to just hear about some of our history and to know that there are people out there that are working uh, to help at least stop regression of vision loss for those folks that still have some, some vision uh, retained, and then to even improve it. So uh, there, are, there are solid results that have happened over the last few years that I'll talk about. Uh, how many of you have heard of Gordon Gund? That's, that's a name I'd love for you guys to take from this, this uh, the, uh, presentation of mine. Uh, Gordon is our founder along with the Berman family back in 1971. He, is, um, he has stepped down just recently as our chairman of the board, but he is, he is still around and, and pursuing this mission he has. He is blind from retinitis pigmentosa and has led our organization to the proud levels that we are today. We are the world's largest funder behind the federal government at almost $900 million raised. And a lot of that is thanks to our, a lot of our families in the audience here today and across the country and across the globe. Um, some really cool things, if you're a sports fan, and to, to know that I, I, I graduated from the University of Illinois in Champaign, which I'm also very proud of, and I like the, one of the great things that I, that I learned from that very expensive uh, tenure, five-year tenure, at the university was the term Renaissance Man. He is a genuine renaissance man. For those of you that are familiar with that English lit term, he is an artist. He, is the, uh, he was the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers of the NBA. And on the screen here, uh, and I have a screen up here with the PowerPoint. I'll be going through anything that's on here anyway, so if you can't see that, I'm going to be explaining it anyway. But we have a photo here of him with LeBron James. Uh, for those of you that don't know, and outside of Chicago, there actually is a really good basketball player outside of Michael Jordan. And, and uh, LeBron James was, he, uh, Gordon was the owner of the, of the Cavaliers when they, uh, when they drafted LeBron James, and he's fo uh, photographed here with him. Uh, Gordon is, was also the owner of the San Jose Sharks of the NHL. There you go. Hey, San Jose folks or, or hockey fans? Which one of you guys? <laughs> Very good. Uh, and you'll see him on financial uh, news stations across the, across the globe. He is one of the, most, the bril most brilliant financial minds. So the foundation and the donations that we receive are in very good hands. And I'll talk a little bit about that as well. But uh, if, if you've ever heard of the Gund Arena in Cleveland, which has had many reiterations due corporate, to corporate buyouts and all that thing, that was his name. And, that, and he's, very, he's a, a very popular figure in the Cleveland area uh, as well. Uh, and I'm very happy to be, be working under an organization that he has really grown to the level of, of international prominence as the Foundation Fighting Blindness. As I said, we are approaching almost $900 million in fundraising. A lot of that is in the last few years. We've really had an exponential growth as people find out who we are and we increase the number of people that are supporting our organization. Uh, we have identified through some of our programs, through our retinal program, uh, gene, uh, and through the, the researchers that we have funded, uh, over 270 uh, retinal disease-causing genes uh, that affect vision. We have funded, and generally we get about 200 grant requests from private institutions, individual researchers, major institutions, um, some throughout the Midwest, including the Kellogg Eye Institute in Michigan, the Eye Institute and the McPherson Eye at University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, all, all sorts of institutions primarily in the United States, but we go where the 
best research is available, and we fund that research internationally if it is. We have a highly, uh, uh, a, a very highly um, accepted board of directors and researchers that select those grants. We generally get about 200 grant requests a year, and we can fund um, usually between 70 and 100 of those. So we make sure that we are selecting the best research that's out there, and oftentimes we are moving our money around. It, our money doesn't stay in the bank. When we are collect, uh, raising funds and your, your families and families for ours throughout the country are raising funds, that money basically goes right to research the following year or within two years. So that money is not sitting around. We are making sure that, and Gordon is making sure through our board of directors, our trustees, that that money is being allocated as it should to the best research that's available out there. And a lot of it is right here in the Midwest. Uh, I know a, a lot of you are from all over the country. We have our researchers pretty much spread out throughout the country in the top institutions in the world. Philadelphia is another one that I'll talk a little bit about. Um, that's one that I'm familiar with. So uh, your money is, is being cared for. We are, we are a highly ranked institution through all the, uh, the services that rank such charities. Uh, we just uh, upped our uh, four-star rating with Charity Navigator. So we want to make sure that our, that money is being used effectively uh, and wisely. And, and, and we are very confident that we are doing that. All right. So the, the retina diseases that have been identified, we have 80 genes with, under retinitis pigmentosa, four genes under Stargardt disease, uh, Lieberg's congenital amaurosis, 24 or more genes, and Usher syndrome, 16 genes, and that is increasing every day. I am not a clinician. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I, I run our events throughout the country, and, but I, I, I learn as much as I can about research so that I can present it to groups like you all over the country. And every, every week we have training on the new things that are coming on board, the new exciting things, which a couple of them I'll talk about shortly here. But there is research going on constantly. You, you would be glad to know, and I know many of those researchers, they are an incredibly passionate group of people who want to find treatments and cures. They are looking at the at first step to stop regression of vision loss if you are still losing it. And for those folks that have just been diagnosed that are, that are losing their vision, who I've talked to a bunch this last few days, and, and, and first of all, stopping regression, and then in hopefully turning around some of that vision loss and restoring some vision. When I had first started here, basically the first, the only, only project out there was with a briared sheepdog, and that sheepdog was diagnosed with Leber's congenital amaurosis. It was a defective gene called RP, uh, RPE65, and what, and I, 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 I've been here 18 years and I still don't really understand how they diagnosed the dog with Libra's congenital amaurosis, I've been, it's been explained to me many times, but these are brilliant scientists who I, I don't question. But that was all we had available. There were no clinical trials. And in the last 18 years, and really in the last few years, we have really accelerated that. In the winter of 2017, we had two, 20 clinical trials out there. These are tri trials that you can find on clinicaltrials.gov. If you have an eye disease that is, has some sort of treatment and some sort of research going on with it, it is on that website. It's a government-run website, so it's not ours. I'm not promoting our website, but I know ours is a very accurate and updated website that a lot of people use as a great resource. But you can always go on there to see and just do a, a search for whatever vision issue, whatever eye disease you might have, and you can find out updated research if you want to be involved in a project. 
But that, as of 2017, there were only 20 clinical trials going on, which at the time was a big deal for us. Uh, as of 2021, there were 42. And as of this year, uh, this winter, we are at 49, and I know there are a couple in the pipeline. So really, our, the research is accelerating greatly, and that's, that's great news for a lot of our families that are out there. One of, the, one of the pharmaceuticals, and this is a huge breakthrough for us, a huge breakthrough for the community that's affected by retinal diseases specifically, uh, a company called Spark Therapeutics based in Philadelphia. One of the doctors that we fund uh, heavily is Gene Bennett. How many of you guys have heard of Dr. Gene Bennett from Philadelphia? A few? Not as many as I think there should be, but uh, her team developed, uh, 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 identified the defective gene for Leber's congenital amaurosis, as I said earlier, RP65. They, they developed a pharmaceutical that could replace that defective gene. And that, those experiments a few years ago were approved from the, by the FDA to be, have uh, surgery and had those genes, uh, replacement genes implanted. Um, I have had the pleasure of seeing some of those folks that went under, underwent that treatment. And I actually had to go back several times after I'd said it myself in front of families of how much of a dramatic change that was for their vision, where they, could, they had trouble at one time seeing an eye chart in a doctor's office. And after, these after this introduction of uh, the pharmaceutical Luxterna, they were able to see several lines on that vision chart. They were able to see things that they had never seen before. Um, and it was, it was, it's really exciting because I get pretty emotional about my families that I, I've gotten to know over the years. And to see some folks that have lost a lot of their vision over the last 18 years, and to see some of those people have re retained and also have improved their vision is pretty dramatic for us. This is a big, big breakthrough for the foundation. This is a breakthrough for our entire vision uh, and blind community. Uh, it was international news at the time, and uh, Spark Therapeutics was the one that brought us to that, and we were really happy to be working with them and to fund some of their initial research. The foundation is really proud of the fact that a lot of times these doctors would never get off the ground with the research because there's lack of funding. And a lot of the money that we raise is to start out those projects. So these doctors would never get off the ground if it wasn't for the donations of our families and the folks that support the foundation. So I, I want to thank all of you that have done that in the past and hopefully if, if this interests you that you might, might be interested in doing that again in the future. But thank you all for doing that because you brought us to this level where we're now seeing some results from the long years of investing. So that, that please, uh, for all these, uh, thank you so much for, for that. I appreciate, I appreciate it and we do as well. So just a quick thing with, with um, Leber's congenital amaurosis. So this is a story, I, it was fun to hear because I, I had not met anybody that had this introduced to their vision before. Um, they had the Luxterna experiment, or a Luxterna treatment. I was at a Cincinnati kickoff in front of a big audience we just had, had dinner, and this was my star um, speaker of the day, and she was talking about the treatment and how dramatically she had seen, seen uh, improved her vision, and uh, we were all excited to hear about it, and she comes up to the podium next to me, and she's talking about rainbows and how they really weren't as exciting as she thought they would be now that she could see them. And I had a jaw drop to the floor because I'm like, maybe I should have coached her a little better on what, what our audience wanted to hear about seeing some things for the first time. And um, she recovered, thank goodness. Uh, because she would, people talk about seeing rainbows and stars 
and fireflies and things like that, which are things that, that I mean, it's great to hear those things. Um, but for her, because people have talked about rainbows being so vivid and the colors, they just aren't quite what she thought. However, she and her family are owners of a, of a horse farm. Um, and she has horses that she's raised since she was a little girl. And for the first time, she had seen the colors of the hair of her favorite horse. And for her, that was quite emotional. And that's what we want to bring to our audience that can benefit by the research for these diseases. There are a lot of great stories like that, and we're starting to hear more of them. Uh, I know it's a long process for those of you that are waiting for those kind of treatments. Uh, I understand that for some of you that this is, the, the research is not of, of really big interest, but for those of you that are, these are some huge steps for us, the foundation, and for our families that have really been helping to find, to try to get us to this point. So, uh, here are these two. Uh-oh. Check, check, check. Okay, so, yeah. Can we just switch your mic, please? Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it, making sure. This one's there. No, I can get it. Check, check. Our, our DJ from our recent wine event in Chicago ran out of batteries, and she doesn't have alternate, uh, alternate sp speakers, so she actually had to run out to the store right before our stage presentation and get batteries. So, crazy. All right, another big advance that, that just came out in the last couple months uh, for, for dry macular degeneration, uh, it's a pharmaceutical called Sifovre. Have you, any of you heard of that one, Sifovre? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a big one. This is another FDA-approved drug. It's for geogra geographic atrophy, which affects about 5 million Americans. It's a subset of, the, of, dry of severe dry macular degeneration. So this is one that also uh, stems the regression and also helps improve the vision. Uh, it, it, right now, it's really stemming regression of vision loss, which is a big deal. For, for those of you that already are accustomed to the level of, of vision that you have right now, to know that it's not going to get any worse is a big deal. And, and we know that, and this is a first step, but there are pharmaceuticals out there that are really working hard. I, I know they get a lot of bad rap sometimes because it's very expensive, but the research is very expensive. The one that I spoke about earlier with Spark Therapeutics, they were working on that one med for about 20 years. So uh, it's a long process, which, uh, as is any pharmaceuticals, the expenses we're trying to get to come down. But this is a really exciting one for a big part of our, our blind and vision impaired community throughout the country especially for those affected with dry macular generation. Um, so this is a big step for us. I want to also say we are the Foundation Fending Blindness. We have something called My Retina Tracker. It is a database where we have right now about 25,000 members who have, who have downloaded it and have updated uh, information about their vision. It is a database for, clinic, for researchers throughout the world to, if, they, if they're looking for someone to fill some of the clinical trials, they can go to this database and find, or actually they go through us. So this information is private, but our families, if they go see the ophthalmologist, optometrist, retinal specialist, they get information from them. They can upload it in here so that we have access to it. It is a, is a private uh, database. We only have two people in our entire organization that actually have access to it. Uh, researchers come to us and say, hey, do we have someone that fits these categories of StarGuard or US2 where there's um, the specific genes they're looking for. 
That's important because if there's a bigger audience of people that a bigger pool for them to draw from, a lot of the pharmaceuticals, a lot of the businesses out there that are looking to develop uh, treatments, they look for that and they're like, okay, we can make some money off of that. Unfortunately, the, a, a lot of the businesses that are looking to wait for ways to, raise, to, to, to make some money, that's, that's the, the bottom line. But for us, this is a way for us to bring treatments and cures for our families. So this is a great database. It's free, and we always all encourage that. Also, uh, if you are looking to have genetic testing done, oftentimes that's an expensive uh, uh, benefit that's not covered by insurance. Uh, we, the Foundation Funding Blindness, through a very generous donation, um, are, are funding genetic testing for folks that have gone to their doctor and then been diagnosed with a retinal disease. So you can get free genetic testing that'll identify specific genes that are, that are an issue and that potentially could be treated with, with some um, vision, with some treatments. And, um, Sorry, with, with some treatments, with some pharmaceuticals and things like that. Two minutes? Okay. I'm going to get going here. We have, uh, and thank you for your time. We have chapters throughout the country. Well, i got a couple more minutes here, but I'm going to squeak them in here. We have chapters throughout the country that are, they are non-fundraising. They um, promote uh, getting folks together, like event, uh, events like this, but locally in your own community. Please look on our website for those chapters if you, if you, uh, are looking for activities, if you want to help out with our with uh, bringing speakers to the local audiences uh, and things like that, it's a great opportunity for that, so please check that out. And if you have any questions, my booth, you can ask me later. Also, finally, the big part of what I'm involved in is our events. I run our vision walks throughout the country. Uh, I run six of those, and I support about ten others. They are walks that are in pretty much every major city throughout the country, and I would love to have everybody involved. It's not only do you need to have, if you don't have a retinal disease, we have folks that come out that are affected with glaucoma, uh, diabetic retinopathy, all sorts of diseases, whatever has caused your vision. It's just another great, fun opportunity to come out and talk with fellow people that are affected by vision loss and blindness. And they are fun events, so if you're looking for any uh, activity like that, that's a fun opportunity for you to do that as well. And all sorts of other opportunities as well. So if you have any questions, I'll have a booth. I have a booth out down the hallway. I'd love to chat with you guys, and I'd like to open up here. I don't know if we have time for one. No, we don't have time for any questions. All right. I have one question from Dan. Right? Yes. From Dan. Where's Dan? Can Dan get a mic? He's right here. Oh, yes. I could repeat it if you like. Yeah. I'll just, All right. I'll just, I'll just borrow Steve's mic. Yes. Okay. The other one's hit. All right. There you go. All right. I got it right there. Yeah. Okay. Steve, um, the Foundation Fighting Blindness is very close to my wife and I. We actually met at a vision conference in 1996 before we got really very, very heavily involved in the American Council of the Blind. So the Foundation Fighting Blindness has a very important role to play with research and trying to find cures for inherited retinal diseases. I believe there's an amazing opportunity for the Foundation Fighting Blindness to partner with the American Council of the Blind. Because while people are waiting for cures, they need to deal with their vision loss. Yes. And this is something that the American Council of the Blind is very, very good at. We pride ourselves on our ability to provide information, referral, peer support, folks that are going through vision loss, and I believe that FFB could really 
while we're working for cures, and they're very important, I think there's an amazing opportunities for us to be part of your vision conferences like you're part of ours, and for us to offer things like our community event program that offers over a hundred community events that all people can take advantage of each week that deals with all kinds of support services. And we're out there in so many different areas. So my opportunity and challenge to you is how do we continue to work together and let ACB be a valued partner? Thank you, that's a great point. I'm gonna close with this because we're running out of time. There's a lot of things that I didn't cover today. Thank you so much for bringing that to us. I want to say that because we are, I'm very proud of the fact that we are the number one research organization in the world for retinal diseases. However, we are very aware that we do not provide the services that you got, our community needs. And that's a great point. Throughout, while people are waiting for those treatments and cures, if you are, we do not provide those services. So we partner, and we, we partner with ACB uh, as many places as we can. Have you not seen us at the Visions conferences? We, we should be there, yep. We, we invite an open invitation at all of our walks, all of my events, a free table for any of the communities that are vision-related nonprofits. They can have a free table at all of my walks, all of our dinners, and they can bring service information. I want it to be, our, our events are one-stop shops for all of the community out there. So it's a great point. We want to, we want to partner that with, with groups such as ACB. We do that all throughout the country. We try very hard to make sure that it's something where if you're looking for other information besides research, the groups that are experts at that, which the ACB is one of them, uh, Leader Dogs, all those different great groups, they, are have, they have presence at our events. So I appreciate you doing that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you all for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve, for, for a very informative presentation. All right, I know that we've got luncheons for people to get to, but we've got four more door prizes. I'm, there we go. Now I'm on. All right, are we ready for that, Denise? We are ready. Okay. Got four more here, and um, listen up for your name. And again, if you are here, go pick it up at information. If you're virtual, we will get it to you. Um, this is a bracelet, and it says Sparkling Large Loop Chain, donated by the Literacy Project, and that goes to Marla Torney from Illinois. All right. Next, we've got a $25 Visa gift card donated by the Wakanda Lions Club. That's Wakanda, Illinois. Thank you, Lions. And that one goes to... Oh, my buddy, Kevin Stone in uh, Galesburg, Illinois. It's, it's a couple of Illinoisans in a row. Uh, I had nothing to do with that. Uh, <laughs> Just rigged, the luck of the draw. Rigged. Yeah, right. Well, we got one next one, $50 from Ooh. the ACB of Minnesota. Oh, my God, not another <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> Cindy Mahoy from Danville. <laughs> and I believe she's virtual. And finally... Our last one of the morning from the ACB Diabetics in Action, $25 to Jennifer Tyson. Oh, all That's right. all we got. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank, Thank you. you. And we are... Madam Chair, it's Jean Mann, and I would like to help raise money for ACB. So if I could just have a couple seconds. Go 
Don't go forget, ahead. Don't forget the MMS program. Um, you can either stop by our booth and take, we'll take some information from you, and then we'll get in touch with you after the convention. Or you can go to the um, registration office, and they'll help you fill out forms right there. If you're not here in Schaumburg, you can call our number, 888-999-3190, or you can email us at askacbmms at gmail.com. Please leave us your name, a phone number, and an email address so we can reach you after we get home. And if you do this before the end of, of the virtual convention hall closes, which will be over the weekend, you have a chance to win Amazon gift cards. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. All right. We are in recess until tomorrow morning at 8.30. And do not forget to check out all of the great events that are happening this afternoon and this evening.